episode of Dopey is brought to you by our very good friends at Oro Recovery. Oro was founded by Bob Forrest and his friends, Evan and Jared and Bob. Their mission to create a treatment center that helps addicts and alcoholics by means of compassion and connection rather than control. Their staff has many, many decades of experience in treating co-occurring mental health disorders, including severe mental illness, they make sure your detox is as comfortable as possible. The most important thing is the people that I know that have gone to Oro said it was one of the best experiences they ever had. They were never treated so well. They never learned so much about their recovery. They have amenities you wouldn't believe. Sound bath meditation, equine therapy, surfing, and of course, the potentially spiritually transformative sweat lodge. It's definitely my favorite. If you're fucked and you're looking for a place to go and you're willing to go to sunny Southern California, I highly suggest going to Oro. And, of course, this episode is also brought to you by our very good friends at Sober Buddy. What is Sober Buddy, you might ask? Sober Buddy is an app, but it is so much more. It is a platform of recovery. It is a community of recovering alcoholics and addicts. You get it on your phone by going to the App Store or the Google Play Store, and they have sober challenges. They have a social media-esque platform where it's just alcoholics and addicts helping each other, talking about struggles and triumphs and all that stuff. They do like 11 Zooms a week. I do one of them, Wednesday afternoon, 1 o'clock Eastern Standard Time. It's really an amazing Zoom. It shocks me. It's a sober, buddy, dopey Zoom, and it is it's just awesome. So if you're looking for an app, if you're looking for some help, Sober Buddy might be the place to go. They do a 30-day trial. Check them out at uh, YourSoberBuddy.com or on the App Store or the Google Play Store. This very special episode of Dopey is also brought to you by our good friends at SoberLink. We need to talk about alcohol recovery in the workplace. Talking about sobriety and proving it to your employer can be so difficult, and our friends at SoberLink want to help. If you need a reliable way to present documented proof of sobriety to a boss or a loved one, they can help you at SoberLink. 
What is Soberlink? Soberlink is a high-tech portable breathalyzer system that uses facial recognition technology to verify your identity. It has a unique sensor to ensure that no other air sources are being used, and it sends results directly to your specified contacts. So there's no questioning whether or not you took the test and whether or not you altered the reporting. This is why Soberlink's remote alcohol monitoring system is considered the gold standard. Being in recovery from alcohol does not define the future of your career. Let Soberlink help you. If you are interested in Soberlink, you check them out at Soberlink.com slash dopey. You get 50 bucks off if you use the dopey promo code. Once again, it's www.soberlink.com slash. And just in case you didn't realize it, it's tax season. If you are running late on your taxes, Evolution Accounting and Consulting can help you. They are a full-service accounting firm. They do taxes, bookkeeping, payroll, almost any other business need you may have. Their whole thing is they cover those bases for you so you can pursue your entrepreneurial dreams. And maybe the most important thing about Evolution Accounting and Consulting is their firm is run by a total crackhead. Fortunately, he's been in recovery for years now, and he knows the struggle as well as the success. Check him out at www.evolution-accounting.com. You get special discounts when you use the promo code DOPEY. If you're running out of time on your taxes, you go to www.evolution-accounting.com and use the promo code DOPEY. They will hook you up. Enough with the ads. Here is the show. Welcome to Dopey, the podcast on drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. My name is Dave. Now, most podcasts start their show with asking you to subscribe to them. So I'm going to say, subscribe to us on iTunes. You know, like us. Like like me. I need the validation. But more importantly than liking me or giving me the validation, sign up to Dopey Patreon. If you're a crazy Dopey fan and you feel the need to give back to the show, go to Dopey Patreon sign up, come to the Dopey Patreon Zoom. I've been putting up tons of material. There'll be way more dopey shit coming up on Patreon. Check it out. Also go to dopeypodcast.com. Check out the store. There's great new merch coming out. Go buy Dopey merch. What else are you supposed to do? Oh, follow us on all the social media. I think that's supposed to be important. But more important than any of that stuff is reviews. The people that love reviews more than anyone else are my father and Chris. So if you love Chris or you love my dad and you love both of them, leave a nice review because it makes them happy and then it gives my dad something to do on the show. So support us on Patreon, subscribe to us on iTunes, and fucking leave a review, please. It's Friday afternoon. It's it's today. It's the If you listen to Dopey on Friday, which not that many of you do, that is the day that Dopey comes out. It comes out on Friday night. My dad still thinks it comes out on Saturday, but he also thinks reviews are emails. So you know how that goes. I'm super excited. Like, I can't even contain myself. I had a bunch of stuff to talk about, but we just need to acknowledge that today on the show is Andre Royo. Now, Andre Royo is an actor. He's a person in recovery. 
He is in the current production of Eric Bogosian's Drinking in America at the Bonetta Lane Theater. He was in the Mark Maron-produced brilliant movie on alcoholism called To Leslie. He was in a ton of stuff over the years. A ton of films and TV shows. But for me, most importantly, Andre Royo played Bubbles on The Wire. And The Wire is just, I mean, it sounds crazy, but The Wire is an important part of my life. It was there for me when I was using. It was there for me when I was kicking. And it's been there for me in my recovery. So having Andre on the show is, is beyond a treat. And I actually had the uh, privilege of going on a podcast called Pod Yourself a Gun. I know I mentioned it on the show, but I'm going to mention it again. It's an amazing podcast all about The Wire and go check it out. I mean, I'm such a fucking wire freak. I was thrilled to go on Pod Yourself a Gun. I was like, I'll go on every episode. They were like, all right, take it easy. But so check out Pod Yourself a Gun and let us rejoice that today Andre Royo is on Dopey. Let's also rejoice because it is Easter. He has risen. And let's also rejoice because it is Passover. It is a wonderful <laughs> holiday season. Uh, for everybody. So I hope you guys are doing great. We got a ton of response uh, from Jay's last appearance, Fentanyl Jay's last appearance on the show. I got a voicemail I want to play right now. It's from a woman named Emily. She also sent a picture of herself wearing a free Fentanyl Jay t-shirt. And of course, we don't know about Jay's sentencing, but here's Emily. What up, Dave and Dopey Nation? First, just wanted to give a shout out to Fentanyl J. Thought uh, these shirts, sending you a picture, should maybe be a part of the next Dopey merch release. Um, and Dopey Nation, whether you're a fan of J or not, a hands down will take anyone willing to be their authentic self over some bullshit any day, good or bad. Long story short, I've been listening to Dopey now for probably four and a half years. Uh, coincidentally, I was driving home from checking my 18-year-old son into rehab when I found the Dopey podcast, and it's played a huge role in my life ever since. Drugs, addiction, dumb shit, legit has been my life for 25 years in some way or another, whether it's my own afflictions, ex-boyfriends, my 18-year-old kid, it's just been life. I'm just so grateful for all you've given, Dave, truly in the worst of moments, especially in the past four years, knowing this is something I have to look forward to every Friday and a community that you've created of people that just fucking get it. I'll forever be grateful. So stay strong, Dopey Nation, and toodles for Chris. Thank you, Emily. That was beautifully said. You get Dopey Socks. And you actually included your address. So you knew you were getting the Dopey Socks. If you are a member of the Dopey Nation and you want a free pair of Dopey Socks or you want to be heard on the show, I hope you know what to do, which is send an email or a voicemail to dopeypodcast at gmail.com. This is the lifeblood of the show. So please, if you have a good story, send it in and make it really fucking dopey and keep it under five minutes and get your Dopey Socks. Also, if I have played your voicemail or read your email and haven't sent you socks, please remind me that I owe you some fucking socks. Ironically, by sending in another voicemail or email to dopeypodcast at gmail.com. And if you don't want to send in a voicemail or an email, but you want socks, you can just Venmo me for it. It's 15 bucks. I send you socks and a bunch of stickers. 
Now, before we get to Andre Royo, I want to remind you that this episode of Dopey is brought to you by BetterHelp.com. When is the last time you feel like you've learned something new about yourself or really gotten to know yourself? This week, I had some serious self-reflecting moments of my impossibly difficult organizational style. And I talked to a therapist and she helped me realize that I need to take steps to be more organized. Getting to know my weaknesses and figuring out how to turn them into strengths is something that therapy is incredible for. And betterhelp.com is one of the most accessible and easy ways to get therapy. BetterHelp connects you with a licensed therapist who can take you on that journey of self-discovery from wherever you are to wherever you want to be. If you are thinking about getting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists anytime you want for no additional charge. Discover your potential with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash DopeyPodcast and you'll get 10% off your first month. So that's BetterHelp.com slash DopeyPodcast. It's, it's an exciting month, April, and we are in partnership with this company called The Phoenix. They are a nonprofit group that helps alcoholics and addicts in recovery by creating fun events. And we have a super fun event coming up in April, April 27th in New Orleans. I'm going to New Orleans to do a sober kickoff to Jazz Fest. It's going to be awesome with the Phoenix. So if you're in New Orleans and you're interested in coming out to that, you can write us a, an email or you can check them out at thephoenix.org and look up the events in New Orleans and you'll see our event on the 27th. If you're a sober person and you're looking to have fun, you're looking for free exercise stuff, you want to play pickleball, you want to peruse some music and art scenes, check out thephoenix.org. They believe a huge component to recovery is having fun and being engaged. I agree with that. So I'm super excited to be in a partnership with them. Again, check them out at thephoenix.org. They have CrossFit classes. They have pickleball classes. They have concerts coming up. And we have a sober kickoff to Jazz Fest on the 27th. So please check that out. Also, if you're looking for a podcast to listen to, I would strongly suggest listening to Nat x's podcast recovery in the middle ages it is all about recovery 12 step books about it movies about it it's nat and it's mike and it is a new take on recovery so check out recovery in the middle ages wherever you get your podcasts so before we actually play the andre royo interview i want to give a huge shout out to pete callahan who's in recovery Pete Callahan, yes, went to Mountainside where Chris and I met. And Pete Callahan is one of the producers who's helping make the dopey documentary series on at Time Studios. And Time generously let us use 
their podcast recording suite because there was horrible construction at my father's house. So let's give it up for time. Let's give it up for Pete Callahan. If you guys want to be in the dopey documentary, send in a voicemail or a video of yourself extolling your experience with dopey why you love it. Enough with the fucking preamble. Here is Andre Royo on Dopey. All right. You're here. I'm here. I'm here because you guys are the persistent motherfuckers that I ever, ever encountered. And it's, it's a, a testament to your show. And I, I know your show is a success because y'all got that New York energy of not giving up. You had people hitting me on my Instagram, people hitting me on Twitter. People is me no, no. <laughs> and Suki. Suki, okay, let's give a shout out to Suki. Suki uh, put me on to you guys and was like, you know, I guess she was a, a fan of my work or what have you, but she found me on Instagram and I was posting about my sobriety. For me, I found a way where, I, I don't know how it happened, but I'm in the middle of COVID and I, I, I decided to, you know, get sober and I, I just felt like sharing. I just, you know, posted a, a post on uh, Instagram talking about day one sobriety, and I, I for me I was trying to make sure that I was gonna hold myself accountable. So I wanted people to see me in the street if they saw me walking into the bar. Hey yo, thought you were sober? Like I wanted to be called out. Right. So I was like, let me share this with everybody. You know, in my brain, because I ain't got that many followers. But I'm like, let me share this with everybody and just hold myself accountable. And my friends who were following me. I didn't want to run into them and they'd be like, yo, let's get a drink. I wanted them to know ahead of time so I can avoid the temptation of, yo, what are we doing? Let's go get a cocktail. They knew. So it just was, it was just that thing. And then all of a sudden, I was getting flooded on my DMs of congratulations, me too. I was hoping this was going to happen. I'm like, what the fuck? I was that fucked up? Like, and they were like, yo, yo, <laughs> this might be a good thing for you. And, you know, it felt good. You know, and then people started saying about sharing their stories with me. And all of a sudden, I found myself a little tribe of people that were just rooting for me. And, you know, for me, it just was like, okay, I don't want to let them down or myself down. So I just continued to just post. And then all of a sudden, this Suki. Fucking Suki. I saw a post and was like, yo, I got this podcast. These guys, they're doing this. Would you mind doing one? And I was like, oh, you know, I don't mind if I'm in town, but I don't mind. And, you know, blew it off a couple of times because... I'm still in a position now where talking about it, you know, is cool because I want to share it, but I don't want to be feeling like I'm capitalizing on it. Like, I don't want it to be like a commercial, like, hey, I'm sober. What's up? Like, I'm trying to share it just to be honest with myself. If I can help people or people get in, can get into it, fine. But I don't want to feel like I'm just being some celebrity trying to find a way to be like, Hey, let's see if I can mark, market this as a, you know. Sober, brand. sober Andre. You know what I mean? Listen, where's the, where's the non-alcoholic uh, sponsors? Like, I don't want to feel like that. So that's why it took me a long time to really decide who I'm going to talk to, if I'm going to share it, and you guys, the way Suki talks about you guys. And then you came to my show. I just felt it was only right to try to make it happen, talk to you guys, and see what's up as long as people know. This is, you know, authentic. This is not, you know, just me trying to capitalize off it. Yeah, I mean, the people who listen to the show, the Dopey Nation, yeah. know that I've been talking about The Wire since, like, day one of the show. Like, like when I think the first thing I wrote you was, I basically vacationed in Baltimore in the 90s. I watched The Wire so much yeah, yeah. and so fucking high. 
I watch The Wire high. I watch The Wire kicking. I watch The Wire getting sober. I watch The Wire re relapsing. And I did it over and over okay. and over again. It was a good each time? Every way. There isn't a bad way to watch The Wire. Awesome. Awesome. And, and to, to be you, sitting with you, you it's monumental for Thank me, for the Dopey Nation, for all of us. And we're also in this swanky fucking studio. I know. You got, this, you got leveled up for, for Bubs. You got leveled it up. It's well, beautiful. Well, it's not Bubs. It's for Andre Royal. Andre Royal. That's right. Right? Oh, that's nice. What Thank are we you. doing here, right? Thank you. Thank you, brother. And like the audience, like normally we're at my dad's super scrubby apartment, which is fun. You get to see yeah, my dad. Right. You get to see like good middle-class Jewish squalor, public housing kind of shit, which I'm sure would make you feel like you're in the city, which is nice. And this is very fancy. We're in the Time Documentary Studios. So I'm a little like sweating a little bit. Okay. Well, you know, you, you make it look good. You're wearing this uncomfortable uh, energy look snazzy. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. And, and I didn't hit you up right away because I was like, okay, he's posting... I don't want to bother him. He's early, like, but like, I don't think there's any time not to do it. And also like, but Suki just wrote a book. She wrote a book called See, Swallow Me. And she asked me to blurb her book. And I was like, I'll blurb a book. Okay. Whoa. So like the fact that she was like, I think Andre Royal wants to come on. I was like, shut the fuck. I was like, he doesn't want to come on. So like the fact that it took me, pro I probably messaged you 90 times. Yeah. You yeah, was on it. You was on it, man. I, I Again, I, as a New Yorker, it's a a Bronx native, born and raised, persistence is key. Even in the acting world, that's the first thing they, they tell you, is that if you're going to do this, it, it might happen overnight or it might not, but persistence is the only way that you're going to really get to where you have to get to. And so I, I appreciated it and I respected it. I was like, yo, these, guys, these people ain't giving up and they're not being nasty about it or they're not trying to call me out. They're just saying it, it felt like a genuine who would love to have you on the show. You know, you, you, you always want to go where the love is. It's funny because the love is real, first of all. Yeah. And the, but persistence is like the key to anything yeah. in life. Yeah. If it's recovery, if it's career, if it's, if it's relationships, if it's, is there anything that persistence isn't everything? Um, luck. See. Luck isn't persistence. I mean, I mean, you roll the dice. You keep rolling the dice every time. You never give up. So, yeah. So, I, I, you know, it, it probably has different, uh, different words to uh, describe that energy of persistence, but never giving up. You know, be tenacious. Yeah, yeah. I think persistence is the one thing that you know you you can't do enough of. And uh, you were we were talking right before we started that you grew up in the Bronx and you went to high school with with Puffy. Yeah, I went to high school. He was a year below us, so you know it was always there, like yeah, Fosh, or you know he was he was coming up as we were about to graduate, and we started to really like hang out with each other. Not hang out, but he was playing football with one of my best friends, and they played football, so we would see him. But he wasn't Puffy. You know, he was Sean Combs, cool dude. And then I went to college, and when I came back, I was working at the Shark Bar restaurant. It's a restaurant on 74th and Amsterdam. Yeah, it was like yeah. the Epsilon of hip-hop and the Knicks. And we would go in there, and he would come in, and he was like, I'm working at Uptown Records. And, you know, as an actor, you try to get all these side jobs that can keep you free in the daytime, and you can make a little money, a little hustle. So we became part of the street team. He had a street team that we would go around weed pasting and doing the, you know, handing out CDs and vinyl to all the DJs and mom and pop shops. And he, Puff, was the first guy that we saw within our, you know, our group of friends on the come up or just in the stratosphere of just people that we know that 
we watched him grow. Yeah. And his work ethic was the key that he was dropping to all of us. Like, yo, tireless, day and night. We would, our job was to go hand out like records to mom and pop shops and, and, and clubs. And he would say, I don't want y'all everywhere. I'm not. And he was everywhere. So he would always look at us like, what are you doing here? <laughs> I'm, I'm here. Yeah, I'm here. I don't right. need you here, motherfuckers. I need right. you over there. And, and we would be tired. Like, yo, how can we be everywhere if he's going to be everywhere? But that's, that's, that's the lesson. That was the energy. Like, you got to find it. Make it happen. So were and, you guys pushing, like, the Biggie CD and the yeah. Craig Mack and all that yeah. stuff? We were pushing. The first thing I remember, because, you know, that's back in the day when, in the 90s, like, you know, when hip-hop was making money, we were also a partier. And there was a lot of drinking and a lot of just, just having a good time. But I think the first album I remember was Heavy D Bag of Blue Funk. Okay. What was the rec- was that? What was the Heavy D single on that uh, record? Oh no. You went you went too far. I'm, I'm sorry. Not, I, I apologize. I, I have no idea, but I know it was like Heavy D, it was the Lost Boys, it was uh Craig Mack, Biggie, Mary J. Blige, what's the four one? Like it was all these out, you know. It was I, a great time. It's a great time. It was a great time for music. The energy was you know, that's the first time when hip hop and the money was flowing where it wasn't just music, it was a you know, a lifestyle. Yeah. A lifestyle of money. Like, you know, hip hop has always been a lifestyle, but we had just left the breakdancing. The culture was being formed, and now it was being sold. Right. Now it was being monetized on. Now we're moving from breakdancing and cardboard boxes and, the, you know, the jumpsuits into making money and really popping bottles and celebrating that we made it. entered the culture in a, in, a, in a way that can't be denied. Like, this is not like rock and roll, not like jazz. Not, this was something that we were saying, this is ours. You can't take it. You can't deny that we created it, you know. So it was just an overwhelming time where there was no other music. All of a sudden, every other music, every other genre, country, rock and roll, we weren't hearing no more. R&B was being fused into hip-hop. It just was something that just took over. And we were there at the beginning of it, and it was it was fantastic. It's incredible that you were there. Yeah. What was it like, like, in those days? Would you see Biggie performing in the club and stuff yeah, like that? So Biggie performed, like, again, before he was Biggie. Like, just a guy trying to make a name for himself. And, you know, I remember being in some club and he was singing. Um, it wasn't even the main song. It wasn't even the, uh, the Juicy song. It was another song or something. And you just felt his presence. You were like, oh, this is different. He has a, a certain, you know, energy about him. And, you know, Craig Mack. Craig Mack was dope. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was a big song. We thought he was going to be bigger. Everyone thought that. Yeah, he was like the first one that we was like, oh. I mean, it was like Craig Mack and Biggie. Right, it was so much, so much going on, and again, there was so much drinking and partying going on that it's, it was just a blur of just good times. Were you a stoner? Nope, didn't do. I didn't do weed. I didn't try weed until, and it was funny. I had just came back from school, and I just got told that my liver was fucked up. At what point? I think I was twenty-two, and they were saying my liver looked like a, a, an eighty-year-old. It was like it was, that's very stop. early to get yeah. that news. Yeah, you gotta stop drinking. Like, you gotta stop. And I'm like, yeah, I'll stop drinking because I what's helped me with the sobriety, and I found out early in the game, but I just kept forgetting was that I wasn't really addicted to liquor. I was addicted to the lifestyle, partying, hanging out, having a good time, chop, you know, talking shit with your friends at bars and clubs. It was connected to alcohol. And once they told me I couldn't drink, I was like, okay, I can still party hang out, connected to the lifestyle, and wasn't really missing liquor until bad news started happening. And when bad news started happening, I needed a drink. I mean, you know, with us, 
in our society, liquor is it's such a weird thing because it's it's there, it's, med- it's medicine. Like you, you hear it in our lifestyle. Like if something good happens, let's pop bottles, let's celebrate. If something bad happens, let's get a drink. You'll feel better. Like so, you don't know you're having a problem until it becomes a problem. And I realized it was a problem when I really couldn't handle bad news without getting drunk. And it might not be considered bad news to most people, but for an actor, I went out on a sedition, and I went out on a sedition for Carlitos Way. Sure. And I knew the writer, and the writer's like, yo, this is no brainer. Go in. I got you. You got a part. And I'm like, oh, right, cool. So I'm, I thought I was just going to casting directors to be like, you know, the preliminary, like just hang out. I got the part already. The right. author told me. So we could do, you know, this is shits and giggles just to meet you guys. And they looked at me, I, had to, I looked like a Cosby kid, right? I got the little short haircut, these big glasses. They were like, no, nah, you don't look Spanish. <laughs> yeah, but I'm Cuban. Yeah, but, Not Cuban enough for us. Yeah, not a, we, our Cubans look Italian. <laughs> yeah. So you ain't there. I mean, Albertino's playing Puerto Rican. So right. No, you don't look it. And I'm like, yeah, but the author, yeah, he, the author has no power in movies, right? It's not a writer's medium, it's a director's medium. No, you ain't got the part. And I left so mad. And I, went, I was living with my roommates at the time on 52nd Hell's Kitchen, 8th and 9th. And I came in, I said, yo, I didn't get the part. And they were like, yo, I thought the author said, I'm like, I don't know. They told me I don't look Spanish enough. And they were like, oh, shit, you want to drink? I'm like, no, nah, I can't fucking drink in my liver. You want to smoke? I'm like, all right, let me try it. And I smoked some weed and was happy and was just like, forgot about the audition and everything. And I was like, okay, now I like to smoke. So I had a smoking stint for a while. But smoking just wasn't me. It just took me back to liquor. I liked liquor at that time. I liked the holding the glass. I like talking shit, and I just I found it more sociable than weed because back then weed was still something you do in the corner. That was the turning point. Like that was that was that period. Like I mean, now you walk down the street, there's smoke all day. I'm in California. I mean, but here you notice here like how different it is. I I didn't notice here because now I'm a little snobby. It's California weed. I'm like y'all, y'all ain't smoking real stuff, (laughs) you know. So it is open in New York, but it doesn't feel like a you know I don't know maybe because I'm an old New Yorker. It doesn't feel like a New York thing. It's like, like this, it smells like weed way more than it ever has. And like when I was getting, when I was meeting you on the corner, I was like, yeah. wow, somebody just walked by. I was like, wow. But on my way to like my dad's, there's like five weed spots, mm-hmm. like like New York City flowers, this yeah, and that. Yeah. Um, when they tell you your liver shot at 22, yeah. were you drinking a lot as a teen or did you just have a bad liver? I don't, I don't know. I didn't go figure that out. I just, How'd they uh, know to check? Um, I, I think I was, I think I was hospitalized for some stomach issue. I forget, again, you know, blackouts. I forget. I was, I was hospitalized for something, and they checked my liver, and they said it was fucked up. And I don't know. I didn't, I didn't say why. I'm too young for that. I just was like, okay, it's fucked up. Well, you know, I do drink. And um, that was it. And, and again, I just stopped for a while. I didn't stop, stop. I thought, you know, my mind, I was like, okay, I'll just stop for a little bit. And it'll, it'll heal itself or whatever. And I didn't, it didn't seem to be affecting me. Physically, like I wasn't in pain or I wasn't, you know, nobody was looking at me like, yo, you look. So I just thought, all right, the doctor said I, I, I drank too much. I had a period. So I, I stopped. And when I was working, you know, like the Y and stuff like that, I would always stop. For the work. For the work, I would stop. And then after the work was done, I could have a cocktail and drink. So it was not, again, it was nothing that seemed to be a problem until, until COVID. Until COVID and until... You know, I got to a certain age. I'm 50, I'm 55. I'm about to be 55, I think. And I think I didn't realize 
how much I used liquor to deal with bad news. And bad news was coming. No work. You can't go out. Friends at 50 start dying. You know, I lost a couple of dear friends. And Trader Joe's was selling Japanese whiskey at like mm. $20, $25 a bottle. I was just buying bottles. I was just buying bottles, sitting in the house and just drinking. And I just felt like leaving Las Vegas. You know, a certain number, you know, I got, went through a divorce. And everything was hitting me. And I was like, oh, I don't know how to handle this without a cocktail. So let me just drink because I'm not working and I'm not going out. So I just drank, drank, drank. And it got to a point where I was like, let me see if I could push it. I want, I want to. Like, I want to hurt myself right now. And then a few things started happening. My daughter graduated college, and I was at a graduation party, and I got drunk. And Wasted. Was like, you're scaring me. And, I, I know, she's the, I'm an only child. She's the only child. And my energy, I've been called a lot of things. You know, crazy, fun, silly, stupid, not scary. So when I, you hear that from your daughter, that bothered me. Right? And I was like, wow, I don't want to be scary to my own daughter. And then my mom called. And I, I don't mind sharing this, but, you know, my mom was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. I'm sorry. I'm a mama's boy. So once I heard that, I was like, well, I can't be drunk ever because <laughs> I got to make sure that when that phone rings, I'm available. I'm accessible. I can understand something. So I said to myself, well, then stop drinking. And I stopped. And... I'm not going to say it's been easy, but like I was saying earlier, you know, I post some stuff. I, I, I feel like I, I did a thing where I said, okay, once you're addicted to something, you have an addictive personality. So I was like, okay, I just got to change my vices. I don't want to be addicted to liquor no more. So when I posted some stuff on Instagram and people would send me the laughing emojis or say it was funny, I was like, all right, so laughter, laughter over liquor. I'd rather have laughter over liquor. So I'm going to make that my vice. And... I just stopped and it's, it's been easy, but there's been times when I'm, you know. So hold up. You, you're drinking Japanese Trader Joe's whiskey. Yeah. You so scare your whiskey. daughter. The Bill Murray whiskey from fucking. Yeah. Lost the translation. translation. Yeah. 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 And I did, a, I did a fake commercial on my Instagram. Like, yeah. Oh, I got to see that. What, what did he say in that? Give me the, the Bill uh, Murray. I got now, but yeah. it's just like Centauri time. Centauri time. Anytime, yeah. Centauri time. Yeah. You know? yeah. And my family going, ah, you know, hacking, you know. So yeah. So I just. Yeah. You just said, I don't want to do it, and that was it? I, I, I felt like, you know, again, a couple of friends passed away, and hearing this news about my mom, drinking, you know, I've been drinking for so long that my brain was telling me, I know how, I know how this is going to end, no matter what I drink. Wine. Like, you know how you tell yourself, I'm only going to drink wine. I'm only going to drink beer. I'm only going to drink on the weekend. I know every angle of how this liquor is going to, what road is going to take me, and where I'm going to end up. I'm going to end up hungover, passed out. Or just fucking done. You know, I forgot what I did. I know every road. What I don't know is where sobriety is going to lead me. It made the new. It made every day like oh, I wonder what's going to happen today. Instead of knowing, okay, I'm going to have a drink around you know lunch, or I'm going to be drunk. But like, I just thought it was a newness. And at fifty something years old, if I could find a way to have another you know decade of life and be new, and you know I still got that. I, I got to reintroduce to being. I wonder. You know, when you get to a certain age, you think there's never going to be any more. I wonder. And with sobriety, for me, it was like, I wonder what's going to happen today. And that felt refreshing. So I just stopped and waited and to see if, you know, if I have a crazy craving for alcohol. It wasn't really happening. Coffee is a beast. I'm probably addicted to caffeine now. So, again, you find a different vice. We're all addicted to fucking sugar. For sure. Can't let that go. Me, bad. You know, bad. 
Yeah. So the alcohol, you know, I'll go in a bar now just because I like the music and seeing people. And I'm a people person. I like to watch people order coffee. And then I'm having a conversation about that. Why are you drinking coffee? And I'll just crack some jokes. And, and so the energy is still there. So I just said, all right, I guess I'm not as bad as I thought I was. Because, again, I realized I was making a choice to get fucked up. Saying, let me hurt myself. It wasn't like, oh, my God, I need alcohol. I was like, give me the alcohol. Because I was mad at God. I was mad at everybody. because my, my friends were dying. Shit was happening. And I was like, all right, fuck you then. Let me just get drunk and just not deal with this. Until my mom called or until my dad or somebody was calling me and said, you know, mom has Alzheimer's. We need to talk about this. And I was like. Okay, well, I can't be, I can't be, I don't have, I have no time to be drunk. I have a million questions. Yeah. First question is, yeah. do you think you're not an alcoholic then? No, I, I think, I think I became an alcoholic. If you decide to drink to hurt yourself, you're an alcoholic. Okay. You made a choice. So, yes, I think I, I am an alcoholic. And I think that uh, I've been fortunate enough to find different ways to fight off the thirst. Yeah. You know, doing this, I'm doing a play right now, right? I'm doing this play, Drinking in America. Incredible play. Thank you. Because. I saw the play. It's incredible. It's an incredible piece of writing and you made it fresh and it felt like everything addiction in one spot. Thank you. And like, and I felt every bit of that fucking play. Thank you. Thank you. So I found a way. I mean, liquor's going to find a way in my life one way or another. We're, we're, we're connected. <laughs> we just got a different relationship. Right, 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 right. Now you're in my craft, not in my liver, right? Eric Bogosian, dear friend of mine, he writes this play, Drinking in America, I think in 1986. And it's about 12 different characters, all addicted to something. Fame, money. The American Heroin. Dream, right? Heroin, <laughs> liquor. Acid. All, all the things, right? And he calls me up and he said, yo, you want to do this? You want know, to do this play? Because we, we, we became buddies. He's a recovering, you know, heroin addict, alcoholic, whatever, whatever. And he was like, yo, you want to do this play? And I was like, I want to get back on stage. I'm missing New York. I'm from the Bronx. And I've been, doing, I've been in L.A. Uh, for a long time now and doing TV shows, doing movies. And it's been fantastic. Pays the bills. I have a joy. But it's nothing like theater. You love the theater. Theater, theater is the actor's medium, right? TV is the writer's medium. Movies are the director's media. Theater's like your drug of choice. Drug of choice, right? And I'm like, that, that applause, the audience, there's nothing like it. I want to get back on stage. Everybody goes in and says, drinking in America. I'm like, I don't know, man. Like, were you know. sober when he asked? Yeah. Did he know? Yeah. Did he know where you were at? No. He didn't know where I was. And, you know, again, I was functional. So he didn't really know I had a problem. He didn't know, you know, I was making a choice to stop drinking. He was just calling me. We were just talking. I said, I want to be on. I want to do stage work. That's some fucking divine intervention. Again, that's right. And then I say, you know, I don't know. I, I don't know if I want to do this play. I'm not sure if I can. It's a heavy lift, 12 characters. I don't know if I have enough time to prepare. It seems like a lot, it seems like a lot of work out yeah. there. And he <laughs> said, well, I wrote this when I was a, a year and six months sober. And I was like, whoa. Well, if I start rehearsing, I'll be a year and six months sober while I'm rehearsing this. Oh, this is my way. This is my way to finally, in, at one point in my journey of sobriety, I could have a moment where I could take all the stuff I've been through and put it in my art. And this is where artists, like any artist, we have, the, we have a unique ability or an opportunity, opportunity to put our pain into our craft and make it something else, right? And I was like, wow, this might be my way to go, hey, alcohol, 
thank you for the good times. Because I'm not going to say alcohol wasn't good. It had moments. I mean, it made me have confidence to talk to the girl who became my wife. It made me have confidence to walk in the room and maybe book a job. You know what I mean? Alcohol had some good times. Of course. And then fuck you for the bad times. Right. When it went too far. So I was like, this might be my way to bow to alcohol. Say, hey, we're done. Respect. Respectfully. But, you know, you're in my craft. I can always go to you. I can always go to you when I'm playing a role that has to deal with addiction. I know what it is. I know what it's like. I can use it, but I can use it in a way that's more productive than painful. So I say yes to Eric, and we, we're at the Manetta Lane right now till April 13th. Shameless plug, but that's what we do. No, definitely Please check out the check play. Out Eric Bogosian's words out of, coming out of Andre Royal's mouth at the Manetta Lane. It's a, it's a, it's a wonderful experience. And it's a one-man show, so I give, it, I give it my all. I put my heart into it. So if you guys want to check it out, come check it out. But it's also a way for me to say thank you and fuck you to alcohol in a way that any artist would love to do it. No, I mean, like, in all the years that you were drinking, yeah. was it ever like, fuck, I'm an alcoholic, I'm fucked up, I should probably stop? Or did it just happen during COVID? Yeah, um, I think maybe once or twice. You know, I, I think maybe one time when I was in my early 30s, I woke up and I had the shakes and I said, oh, well, why am I shaking? Oh, because I haven't had a drink. And then I would say, okay, let me stop. And I would stop for a year. I stopped for a year and, and, and be good and, and, and feel like it wasn't that hard. And then, and then you give yourself an excuse to celebrate. Oh, I'm all right. Let me have a drink. And then all of a sudden you wind up drinking more than you did before. And you go, oh, shit. But I was so functional in my mind. Granted, I don't know. Like, maybe I lost roles that I could have got, right? Or maybe I pissed off somebody who, who I, you know, never ran into again. I don't know. But as far as my inner core of friends, as far as in my mind's eye, what I saw of myself, when sometimes you leave yourself and you look at yourself and go, yeah, you're all right. And, you know, I woke up every morning able to take my daughter to school. I thought I was, a, you know, a good husband, a good father. So I didn't think I ever, I did, I, again, I didn't think I had a problem until... You have a problem until that's you did. That's what most all addiction. Right. You don't know it. until you, know, you, you know. A problem until somebody else tells you, or you go, you're waking up in your own shit and going, "Oh wow, this, this is a problem. This is what I want. This is what I want. This is not what I thought alcohol was going to be." But the other thing is that you played one of, if not the greatest drug addict in the history of television oh, and film. No, come on, Sam top Jackson, five. Jungle Fever, fucking Oogie, Chris Rock. Well, who's your top five junkies in in, in television and film? <laughs> who's my top five? Okay, I, I want top five junkies. That's feel, that feels weird. I will say this. On Dopey, you can top five junkies. Top 10? Top eight? Okay. I'll say this. Um, Bubbles was an incredible, incredible experience in my life. I remember saying no to the role because I didn't want to the audition because I didn't want to play a junkie. One, because I thought it was career suicide. And I thought were, HBO was making fun of us by saying, we got a junkie named Bubbles. You know, again, the wire is not on yet, so I don't know what it is. Hold up, I, though. I have a question real yeah. quick. Well, how did Reginald, what's his last name? Reginald? Cousins. Cousins. Yeah. Become Bubbles. I don't know. We don't know. I don't know. I don't, I'll say this. A, a, a few things. Okay. So, one, Bubbles is a real character. Real life person. Real life uh, police informant for the Baltimore Police Department. I met the, the cop, Ed Burns, who he was a, a, a informant for. Who's also Ed Burns is one of the co-creators of the show. Brilliant. I asked him. He said he didn't know. He said, I don't know why they called them bubbles. <laughs> and I was like, okay, what do I do? And my backstory, I just I remember one episode, I think I got high and I had spit bubbles 
coming out my mouth. Uh, and that's why he was called Bubbles. Said, okay, <laughs> that works. Why they call him Bubbles because every time he gets really high. And, you know, people thought it was, you know, pretty cool or creative and what have you. I remember in the, door, in the, in the audition room when I was auditioning for Bubbles, I saw motherfuckers chewing bubble gum. And I was like, oh, that's corny. I spit my bubble gum out and said, no, I'll do something else. But, right. But, um, yeah, so I don't know why. Really, I don't have an honest answer on why he was called Bubbles. But I knew that when I got the role and realized that these guys were writing some serious stuff, I had to really do some research on what I was going to do to create this character. And the people I went to see. And I was scared because, again, I thought it was career suicide. I thought... This was something I don't know anything about this, you know, heroin addiction. I didn't want to mess it up. And I had Chris Rock, Pookie, and Sam Jackson's Jungle Fever in, in your head. Gator, in my head. Yeah, and yeah. as an actor, I was like, if I can't be at that level with these guys, then why am I sorry, why am I doing this? I gotta be able to find something different or something to make my character at least as important as those guys, you know, to me. So I did my research, and as I was creating Bubbles, the, the, the two addicts or performances that I stuck with that, that resonated to me was Al Pacino, Panic in Needle Park. Yeah, 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 yeah. The way he was moving around, always searching, always looking for that hit, meant something to me. And the other one was uh, Richard Pryor in Lady Sings the Blue. Yeah, that's a sad one. Because he had such a small role, but when he died, it was he meaningful. felt so bad because he was a nice guy. He was a cool guy who didn't know he was doing anything wrong, and he got himself into, mixed up in some shit and died. And I said, it's about the regular guy. It's not really about the addiction. It's about the human. And that's what really stuck with me. I went to Baltimore, and you know, when you do an HBO show, you have more time at, back then to research. It wasn't like TV where next day you're filming. I had a chance to be in Baltimore, and I met a woman named Fran Boyd. From the corner, right? Yes, who they based the corner on. A lovely person. She passed away. She was my heart. She's the only reason why Bubbles really, really had the weight that it did, because she took me, she gave me the cosign, and she took me all around Baltimore, and I met hundreds of people in every, ang in every level of the addiction. And they all talked to me. They all were sharing with me. I saw people nodding while they talked to me. I saw people fighting the addiction, recovering. I saw every angle of it. And they all were just genuinely good people. Just good people who just got caught up or addicted. In a bad spot. In a bad spot. Like, so I watched them and they all be like, please do us right. Please. There's a difference between heroin and coke. It's different. And I was like, really? There's a difference between heroin and alcohol. Like, please do us right. And... I was looking around as I'm preparing. I'm looking around, and I remember back then. You remember, you see people come out the come out the building in zero degree weather, smoking cigarettes. Like they had to smoke the cigarette, and they look like idiots in the cold smoking. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, oh, so there's addiction everywhere, mm -hmm. and we just we, we just got name it. That's that looks ridiculous. That looks just as bad as a, as a, a, a junkie passing out. But like you're doing the same thing. So I took three things that I was addicted to at the time, and it was like sugar. It was like watching, every time I came home, I watched TV, right? You just turn it on just to hear the noise. And it was, uh, at that time, was, I was with my girl and sex, right? So I said, all right, I'm not going to do all three of those for like a month. And it was painful. Of like, course. You walk around that TV set like, yo, I just, let me just turn it on. Let me just see the game. What right? am I supposed to do with you myself? Know, like, you know, you know, so I just did certain things like that. And I felt myself angst, felt myself like fiending, just, you know, to have a Coca-Cola or just to, you know, sleep with my lady like so i was like i understood 
the desire and the addiction. And everything else, I said to myself, just be human. Just humanize and, and be a person and not be a character. And, you know, man, whatever the case may be, I guess it stuck. And people liked it. And I, I like the performance. And I really appreciate people, you know, liking the performance. And when people stop me and they go, yo, what's up, Bubs? Or they, they say, Andre, what you did with Bubs, it means a lot because we shot that show in 2000, right? It's 2023, and people still come up to me and go, Bubbles meant something. And that's, that's, that's so warm because growing up in New York, as you know, oh, I don't know, did you grow up in New York? Yeah. yeah. Growing up in New York, as you know, we walk by these people. Growing mm-hmm. up, we were like, you know, mm-hmm. in the 80s, 90s, like, get out of here. It's They're so still here. They're still They're here. They're still here, but yeah. I think people look at them differently. I, I think people, I'm not going to say everybody, but they at least say, no, I don't have no money in their eyes. They don't just kick them out the way. I don't know. I think it's, it's sometimes it's fucking cold out there. People are fucking yeah, cold. Yeah. And during COVID, people are, are openly shooting up in the street now. Oh, like cool. there's needles everywhere cool. open in the street, yeah. which is different. As, you know, I, I, I was, I, I had just tried to get sober when, when The Wire came out and I was living in Echo Park. I remember it really well. First, like, and I, I relapsed and I had dope and I'm in my bedroom and I'm looking for something to watch. And I think the corner ended and the wire started. And I was like, what the fuck is this? And I was like, I can be with these people because I'm like one of them. And you, the, the Bubbles character with the Johnny character and the Bubbles character with McNulty and the relationships were so true. Yeah. And these are real relationships. Like, and, and like it came from a real place in Baltimore. Being from the Bronx, how easy was it to play Baltimore? Was it a thing? It, it became a thing, but it wasn't a thing in my in my mind. Like I didn't think play Baltimore. I just knew that I was in Baltimore for so long that right. it just became Baltimore. Yeah, I became be more, you know, because everything was universal. Poverty is universal. Addiction is universal. Hundred percent. There's no, you know, nobody's got a claim on. No borough or city has a claim on uh, the human experience. Function, right. Human experience. So. You know, we were all were in Baltimore. Like, I always say everybody in front of the camera or behind the camera in the wire became better humans and better artists because we all got embraced by Baltimore and we all became be more peeps. So, nah, I mean, Baltimore scared the fuck out of me right. when I got there. That's like New York in 1977 or yeah, something. Yeah, look weird. Crazy. Yeah, these big black billboards saying believe, right. trust. With God. Yeah. New York 77 plus, plus yeah, God and like, Jesus. What's this? And we, we saw cats and we like, it, it was, yeah, it was, it was dark because we, what I saw in Baltimore that was different than the Bronx at that time was in New York, in the hood, there was a certain element of, I can get out of here. There's somewhere nearby I can, that I, I can get away from. Mike, or I, I, or I, like, like Biggie said, if I grab the mic or I can make a good jump shot, I can get out of here. When I got to Baltimore at that time period, it looked like there's nowhere to go. Right. We don't give a fuck. You motherfuckers are going from New York to D.C. driving right by us. This is last stop. It was a, a, a certain element of uh, despair, despair that yeah. I was like not used to. Like you can, you know, you can find a way out of it. Get on a train, just leave. And, but they were like, where? Right. You know, like we would see. You know, when we when we would do like drive drive arounds with the cops to learn about the city and whatever, we would see things. They'd be like, oh, we left that body on the floor. That was last week. Come get that up. Oh like, my what? god! Right, right. You got John Hopkins, this this the school of this genius, you know, doctors, and around the corner, it's fucking broken down row houses. You're like, 
oh, you just don't care about them around the corner. You're just not going to give no money around the corner. Wow, this is sad. And so when we were filming, we saw a change happen because when we first get to the neighborhoods, they were like, yo, get out of here. We had to like pay drug dealers to be there because they're making like 10000 a day. And now we, we're there with all these equipment. We're stopping the money. So we would have to be like, okay, can you? And any hour day turned into a two-hour day. You better learn your lines. Don't mess up. We have to get out of here. Right. And Because that was the spot where he had to make his money. He got to make his money. Yeah, and yeah. then people were starting to come out going, when the show started airing, people started going, oh, wow. I saw the front of my house on TV. I didn't know it looked like that. I became numb. And you start seeing people clean up. Right. You saw people starting to take a little bit of, because if it's just you watching yourself, you don't give a fuck. Everybody's in the same thing. But when you know that the world the world is starting to turn on and watch where you live, you, you, you might have ignited a certain level of pride back in yourself. Like, okay, it's bad, but it ain't got to look this bad. And we started seeing things starting to, you know, change a little bit. I'm not going to take, I'm not going to say the why it takes credit for it, but it's just that all eyes are on it. And, you know, the mayor hated us. You know, we would run into, like, the mayor trying to just get us all arrested if we just broke curfew or whatever, just because we were bringing light or, like, turning on the light to these neighborhoods that seemed like it didn't have to be this bad. Yeah, I had no idea what was going on. now. And now there's, there's a city, a, a town in Philadelphia called Kensington, yeah. which is an open-air drug town, and everyone compares it to Hamsterdam in the wire. I, rem- I remember hearing you talk about, first of all, like you didn't want the gig in the first place. You were scared like yeah. playing a heroin addict wasn't going to be good. And your mother was like, I don't want my son to yeah. play a junkie. Yeah. But you so inhabited the role and you took it so seriously yeah. and, and made it so magical. How did you, like, how did your mind shift on that? Uh, Fran Boyd. She did it. Fran Boyd did it. Fran Boyd took me, again, Fran Boyd took me to certain places and I saw certain, I saw people, and I just was like, I mean, I think all of us, you know, for me, I just said I have to play. This. If we get an opportunity to tell these people's stories, then we got to do it the right way. And I think every, all, everybody in the cast felt that way, from the cops, even the drug dealers. Everybody felt like we're tired of seeing. We have an opportunity to give these characters more than one dimension, really make them human beings, and. Yeah, it, it, just, it just clicked for me to just do it right. And, you know, it was funny because even before then, just meeting David Simon, Ed Burns, the, the people I met. I always thought it was Ed Burns, the actor. I didn't yeah, I know. I, I know. I'm a fucking know. idiot. Yeah, Ed, Ed Burns is an ex-cop. David Simon, the ex-writer from Baltimore Sun. Um, at that time, it was Clark Johnson was the director. Who is D. Watkins? D. Watkins is a writer. Um, I think he came around, I, I'm like, I think maybe fourth or fifth season. He's coming on Dopey in May. He's a good dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like the up-and-coming new writer, the new pen, the new voice of the culture and, and, and black experience. Um, he's a great dude. But he's one of those people that I think, I don't know for sure, I met him a couple of times, real cool dude. He got a, a couple of great books that he wrote. Yeah, yeah. But he's one of the people that, you know, when the Y came out, again, pride. And all of a sudden, I like him on, oh, there's other artists. There's good, you know, there's um, talented people in this hub that we weren't looking at. And they now can come up and say, oh, yeah, I'm from the, where the wire was shot. And they got, a, you know, a, a spot, a platform. They, a mic is going to them like, okay, what you got to say? Right. Right? 
Um, and he's one of those dudes, and he's coming up and, and, and proving himself to be poetic and prolific with the pen, right? So, and I think him and David worked on um, We Own the City. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, he's, he's a great dude. But it was strange because when I, when I auditioned for The Wire, you know, again, I sat in the moment. Everybody was like, it felt serious. It didn't feel like they were making fun of anything. So, I took it seriously. And then I wanted the part. And then, funny enough, you know, I wasn't sure. There was like five, you know, I, I had five auditions. And then they were like, okay, it's yours. Do you want it? And I sat for a minute and was like, yeah, I'll take it. And then found out later, while we were shooting, that if I said no, the other actor that was going to play Bubbles was Lance Reddick. Who just passed. Another one of my, you know. I'm sorry for that. Yeah, another one of our our. our my friend, my brother, and my fellow castmate. Amazing uh, actor. Lance Reddick. Who do you see? Is 6'2". Yeah, like Diesel. Yeah. Rock solid. Yeah, I'm yeah. like, wait a minute. Why was he going to play Bubbles? And they were like, well, that's how Bubbles really looked. And then I was like, well, then why did I get the part? Because you had the essence of Bubbles. And that's when my mother freaked out. Like, what do you mean? Why did my son got the essence of a junkie? And I'm like, mom, it's just, just the compassion, just the human. I'm trying to be a good person. Don't judge me for my addiction. Judge me for the man that I am. Right. Earnestness, com humor, right. light, so, energy, yeah. all that stuff. I, I've been reading a lot about you and listening to as much of you as I can find. Yes. I want to know when did the street Oscar thing happen? Ooh. Yeah. So um, That's the craziest story. I, I didn't even hear that. You didn't tell that story on, on the podcast I listened to. I saw that on Wikipedia. Yeah. I mean, it's been out there. You know, I, I think a couple of books have it. I, I, I always feel weird about it because. Again, I'm in that fine line of I am not trying to celebrate or, or glorify anything, but I am saying what happened. Yeah. So I'm I'm on my I'm on my Daniel Day Lewis shit, right? Like I'll go in there. That's straight method. Yeah, I'm on set. I'm on set like just dressed in God. I'm like, I'm filthy and I'm trying so hard to stay focused and, and be in character. I, I I got chased by our own security guards off the set <laughs> one time. Yeah. They thought I was like stealing yeah. craft services. Right, right. So I'm in character and I think we were shooting this scene. Where I'm on the bench by myself, and I'm walking around just trying to stay focused, and I see some cats running down a block talking about, "Yo, they giving out free testers." And this one dude said, "Yo, you look like you need a hit, <laughs> a pound." And I look, and it was a valve. It's and crazy. Like, oh, shit, they motherfuckers just gave me. And I go on my trailer, no lie, I go on my trailer, and I'm like, "Okay, I must be in the right, I must be in the right frame right now if they really believe I'm a junkie." But I'm looking at it and going. If I take this, I'll get an Emmy. Like, if I, take this, like, if I can't deny that I'm not real. I'm, you know, and I really had a, a, a maybe, maybe about 30 seconds of going, yo, just take it right before, just do it. Be real. Understand the, understand the experience. Crazy. Right? And then my mom was like, man, you'd be good for one take and then you'd be fired. Like, what are you, what are you doing? You have a magnificent one take and then when they go, okay, coming around, you'll be fucking done. And, you, are you saying to yourself that you don't trust all your work? You don't trust your craft, your studying, your, your preparation? You got to trust it. And so I just left it. On my, I left it on my little, in my trailer, on my, you know, my little desk with all my little makeup and what have you. And I looked at it every day. It was like my, it was like my Oscar to say, you're already there. You've already won because you are bubs. So you look at this and you don't take it. Because once you take it, you're an actor who just couldn't believe in himself. But if you don't take it, 
you know your bubs. And I, I kept it for a long time. So did you ever try heroin in real life? No. Never I once. Yeah, no. I did try. Like, weed was the furthest I went. You know? Really? Yeah. Because in, 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 in uh, drinking in America, yeah. you so pull it off. The acid shit. I, 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 the beginning, I think it's really you telling the story. I thought I was like, oh, this is very interesting. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's awesome. It's yeah. awesome because, again, I, I think I understood that only the way it destroys your body and your mind, some might be quicker than others, but the addiction it's, is horrible. Everything. It, it, we are addicted so bad to sugar right now. It's in everything we do. Are you ta- are you, you're talking a lot about sugar. Are you eating a lot of sugar right now? Or are you off the sugar? No, I can't. I'm not off the sugar. That's the one. Like I, I do, I do, I do certain things. Like for certain roles or what have you, I'll try to do a fast, right? Just to get that discipline and all that. I tried to fast from sugar. That was that's harder than alcohol. That's harder than weed. It's in everything. I did it once, and no I- sugar, cause it's in everything. Your toothpaste, everything, and to do no sugar. I'm not saying it can't be done, but I, I, I caught headaches. I, I did like. Six days with no sugar, and then on the seventh day, I was digging into a skippy peanut butter fucking jar with a spoon, just eating like it ain't, it ain't that bad. I was mean. I was mean to my family for for a bit. Like I tried to do it. I, I don't. I probably didn't make it all the way because I was still brushing my teeth and stuff. But I was eating the sugar free chocolate chips. I was eating the fucking sugar free chocolate chips. It's some other shit. They put it's some else, they put it's a, like monk fruit or some shit. Or Splendor or some dumb shit in there. It's just hard. I don't know. It's don't very know how hard. Far I got, but again, I understood the addiction part, and I said to myself, you know, no matter what they tell me, you know, whatever character is addicted to something, I think I got a handle on it and I can play it. So this, these twelve characters I'm playing on this show, you know, when I first got in drinking in America, when I first got the the play. It's like 70 pages. This is one, you know, the dialogue, I was like this. I can't remember this. Not in the time. That was the first thing you texted me. I was like, when can we do this, like, this interview? You were like, I got to learn the script first. Like lines. I, I, and it was always daunting because I would read one and then peek at the rest of the monologues and then forget the first one because I'm like, oh, my God, I can't. The only way it stuck to me or it became easier was I stopped trying to, I stopped trying to memorize the, di- the dialogue and start becoming the people. And I looked at all these 12 characters and said, you know what? I've been all these guys. Right. At one point or another throughout my journey, I've known everybody's emotional makeup. So once I became the characters, then the words stuck. And that's what you do. You inhabit characters. For me, yeah. That's what works. I heard you describe in season three of The Wire, it got to you, right? You felt depression. You felt anxiety. You felt stuck. Yeah. How did that, like... What, did you drink heavy in that period? Like, was the, had the wire caught on at that point? Um, the wire, it never felt like the wire ever caught on. But now it's like every, nobody can say top five shows without putting the wire in yeah, there. Yeah, now, now. Again, we got canceled every year. Really? We got canceled because at HBO at that time, HBO started off being like, we're the show, we're not network. We're not TV. We're HBO. Right? We do things differently here. We don't really care about critics. We just care about telling original stories. And they were fantastic. And then Sopranos came. And they made money. Sopranos was a big hit. Right. Massive. Right. And that came money. So now they had a bar of, we want all our shows to be as good as this. Mm -hmm. And when The Wire came out, we were nowhere near that by a long shot. I disagree. No, no. I'm talking about numbers. Okay, right, right, right. I'm talking about ratings. Right, right. Numbers. Right. We're nowhere near that. 
is Sopranos, Sex in the City, Six Feet Under. These are the ones that are going to the awards shows right. every year. Right. And then there's The Wire. And The Wire was BET Watchers. It was a, 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 just a, because a, it was a, black. It was all black. So anybody turn on and see five, more than four, four or five black people on screen go, oh, that ain't for me. That's not a show I need to watch. You know. So it just was under the radar compared to those numbers. That's all. And every year we would get canceled. After the first season, we got canceled. But they brought us back. Second season, eh, got canceled. Brought us back. Third season, HBO let us go of our contracts. We're done. We don't need to go any further. And then David Simon, I was in L.A. testing for My Name is Earl. Right. <laughs> right, right. Right. And then David Simon called me like, yo, I sent a couple of scripts to HBO. They're going to bring us back. Come nice. back. I'm like, I don't know. I might be crab man. You want to be crab man? Or we're going to finish what we start. I'm like, nah, let's go. I knew, I knew at that point. We knew that the actors, we were doing something special. So let's go finish this. But at the time, we, was, we were getting no love. No love at all. And it was, it was a weird feeling because we just didn't know if the, you know, the why was slow too. Like you're coming from Law and Order watches where at the end of Law and Order, it's resolved. Somebody's, in, somebody's in handcuffs. And it's done. In the why, you just like, yo, I watched the whole episode and everybody was just talking. The New York Post gave us half a star. The Daily News gave us like a star and a half set under the wire. Wow. There was too many characters, too muddled. We don't know what's going on. See, I think it's perfect if you're addicted to heroin. If you're, if you're strung out on heroin and watching it, it's your perfect pace. Yeah. Because <laughs> you're so fucking slow. Know, it's perfect. Yeah. Fall asleep, wake exactly. up. Yeah. Know, Things are happening. Yeah. Um, so I don't remember the question. Season three, your depression and anxiety. Oh, yeah, yeah. I have to bring that up. But how, how was the drinking in that period? The drinking was, the drinking was there. You know, but at that point, I was feeling really comfortable that I got bubs. I understood it. But it just became, I couldn't let it go as far as coming home. Like, I'm in Baltimore, so I didn't see my daughter. My, my, my wife and daughter at the time were living in Brooklyn. And I didn't want to come back and forth on Amtrak. So I wasn't really seeing them that much. And that felt depressing because, you know, you're just scared. You know that. You know, as an actor, you might get another role, but you're not getting that time back. Mm -hmm. My daughter, you know, is a different age. Mommy's the king. Mm -hmm. Mommy's world. Daddy, not even here. I live at home and mommy's the king still. I was come I would come home on weekends, first season. No, second season. I would come home on weekends. And I'd come home on a Friday and hang out with my wife, hang out with my daughter, play, play, try to catch up with all the time spent. And on Sunday, I would go, okay, you know, daddy's not going to be here for a couple of weeks. Daddy's going back to do uh, The Wire in Baltimore. Daddy's doing what he loves to do. Daddy's doing his dream, right? And I did that thinking I'm teaching my kid Follow dreams your come dreams, true, right? right? They little. The third weekend on a Sunday, I'm like this, you know, daddy's doing, I know daddy's doing what he loves more than me. And she like, said that? Yes. And oh, like, my what God. What does that mean? Well, I get you for a weekend. They get you for a couple of weeks. And I was heartbroken. Of course. Heartbroken. I'm like, oh, shit. I, that didn't land well. I want her no dreams come true. Not that I love something more than her, but you can't tell kids what you're thinking and what's landing, two different things. 100%. So I'm in Baltimore going, why am I doing this? Like, the show is not, my manager's like, yo, the show is kind of a hit. They know who you are. You stood out. Lead the show. There's no need to keep doing it because it's not getting numbers. You're not getting, nobody's getting nominated. Go get some real money. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know because I want to finish this. But I was getting depressed. And, and, and with, with depression, I was probably drinking a little bit more. I know I was smoking cigarettes. I never smoked cigarettes before in my life until I did The Wire. Because you had bubble because smoke. I, did, I watched all, these, all the people that I saw, every person I saw in the you know, addiction process was smoking cigarettes. So my first scene 
I'm telling McNulty, uh, Dominic West, and Sonia Kima about the red hat trick. Yeah, That's my yeah, first yeah. scene. I do the scene, cut, check, print. That was great. I was like, I felt horrible. I felt like I was stiff and, 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 and mechanical. And the director was like, it was all right, Dre. I'm like, I don't want to write. I want to do the scene again. What's going to be different? I said, give me a cigarette. Wow. Give me a cigarette. They gave me a Newport, racist motherfucking house. Racist motherfuckers. They gave me a Newport. That was like smoking glass. Didn't like that. I was like, give me a camel. They gave me a camel unfiltered. Mm. And I smoked this, and I'm spitting the tobacco. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got all the body movement. I'm like this. Now I feel like butt. <laughs> but at that time, my wife and all my friends, they all smokers. They were looking at it going, well, Dre, now you got to practice. Because we know smokers from non-smokers on TV. We can tell the difference. And I was like, okay, well, I don't want to look fake. So I started trying to practice and smoking and smoking. And I got addicted. I was smoking for five years. And then all of a sudden, one day I'm in a bar smoking a cigarette, drinking a Jack and Coke. Because now it's, it's part of the combo. They go well together. But I'm looking at myself like, why are you still smoking? You're not even playing this character no more. Let it go. So I got rid of it. But I was addicted for like five years smoking these goddamn cigarettes. It's a miracle you didn't do the street Oscar vile. It's a fucking miracle. I mean, it's just, you know, divine intervention. Because again, I do it and I'm not, I'm not an actor no more. Right. And not to mention, it's, it's very dangerous. You yeah, didn't have, you hadn't, you hadn't been doing coke and acid and weed, no. which is really interesting considering you came up in that hip hop. You know, like in that party moment. Yeah, but in the, in the party moment, the liquor was so good. Right. It was enough. It was enough. It hit you perfectly. It hit me perfectly. And we, again, the way my brain was growing up, we were still this other drug. Liquor was, everybody does it. Everybody does it. Your dad, like it was just a, a party anthem with alcohol or, or champagne. We was something that it seemed to me at that time, something that... I, it wasn't in my DNA. It was like a weirdo kind of thing. I mean, it's just like, listen, the jazz players, like that, like it was painters, artists, all that it shit. Was, it was, yeah, it was, it was like, I thought that was for different artists. I thought that, that that was their muse. And I didn't want to disrespect that. And I didn't need it because the alcohol had me just happy and fun. So we looked like it made you chill and slow down. And that just wasn't me. No, so, I mean, I, I, I've been doing this, I've been doing 400 and some odd I episodes. Love it now. Don't, don't get it twisted. Like, <laughs> we, now, we now, now that you can go into a store and go, I'd like to take a certain weed and you can like order what experience you want. I want sativa, I want intica, I want a little bit of this hybrid. So I can, and now, you know, I, I can understand it now, but back then, nah, I just, the alcohol was the, whiskey was my favorite. Right, Jack right. Daniels, it was Jack and Coke forever, for a long, long time. When you finally drew the line in your drinking. Yeah. And you were like, I'm done. I don't want to scare my kid. I don't want to, I don't want to lose my mother. I had a similar experience with my mother. She, yeah. she, she had leukemia. I was on methadone in LA. Yeah. I got the call that she was like, I think I'm going to die this year. Yeah. I got off methadone that year You're and quick. I flew home. That's right. Very, very similar. I, I, I didn't get clean for a little bit, but right. I, I, it, it but started hundred yeah. percent. Yeah. And it was very, I could relate to that story a lot. Yeah. Um, when you, when you finally draw the line, do you think about all this, like, the fact that you played this character that was so rooted in addiction and recovery. You're at 12-step meetings as Bubbles. You're working a program. You have a sponsor. You have all these things. When you get sober in real life, did any of that come into your head? Um, no. <laughs> no. You want to hear something fucked up and weird, though? What? The other day, I'm walking up the West Side Highway, and you know who I ran into? Ooh. Steve Earle. Oh, 
That's my man. I know. You're a sponsor. That's my man. Isn't yo. that funny? Yo, that's my man so much so because, all right, to answer your question, no, because that was Bubs. That was Bubs' journey. It wasn't me. You know, when I finally was able to, Bubs stays in my heart and he's a part of me. But everything that, that Bubs went through, that, that really is, is capsuled into his lifestyle. Right. Me personally, yeah, again, when I got clean, or when I decided, because you know, I don't know, the clean sounds weird. When I decided to stop it. <laughs> so a person came to my show, beautiful person, and then she told me, she said, I'm a friend of so-and-so. Bill. That's it, yeah. He, and she, she was hoping you went to meetings. Yeah, yeah. But you were like, I don't know, Bill. <laughs> What'd you say? I said, I said, oh, I'm glad. I, I don't know who Bill is. And she was like, oh, you don't go to meetings. And I was like, no, nah, I don't go to meetings. Not that I don't, I think nothing wrong with it. I just haven't decided that I need that right now. You know, there was, there was something, okay, so there, I guess there, there was something about meetings when I would go to meetings for research for bubs that felt like I was putting myself in a room full of sadness. Mm. And I didn't want to be in a room full of sadness if I'm recovering. <laughs> so I was like, nah, but for a lot of people, it's a, a different kind of experience, community. It changes. It's like, and I'm a, it's like kind of the way you describe Baltimore also. Yeah. It's like, it sounds like a very rough place to be. And, and I mean, I'm sure a Narcotics Anonymous meeting in the middle of Baltimore, in the middle of the day, is a rough spot to be. Oh, it's just like, they, they all look like they were in pain. It's a lot of, I mean, I, I mean my experience, I go to meetings. Yeah. The meeting that I go to, I, I got sober in meetings at 7.30 in the morning on the Lower East Side and uh, in the West Village. And at 7.30 in the morning, everyone got to go to work. No one's there if they're not going to work. Right. You know what I'm saying? So that was a good meeting for okay, me. Okay, yeah. So I'm sure they're sort of going. And now they're on Zoom. Yeah, they like do they it on Zoom. Zoom meeting now. And I'm like, all right. But I just, I haven't, yeah, I haven't found any, again, it's a goddamn IG. My DMs are my meetings. Wherever it yeah, works. Wherever it works, works for you, right? So, so yeah, so my yeah, my recovery, I, I just thought again, I just thought about how refreshing it felt to wake up and not know what the where the day is gonna turn out when you're sober. Because you just don't know. And I felt like at this point in my life, I know how the day's gonna turn out when I have that first drink. I know. I know where I'm gonna be, how I'm gonna feel, all the way to when I wake up with a hangover and then wanna drink again. And that felt boring. It felt like it was a redundant, recycled hamster in the wheel. And now it's not cute. It's not cool. It's you're scaring me. You, you're losing people. And you can't handle your shit the way you need to handle your shit. It's disrespectful to all my friends who rooted for me when I said I want to be an actor. All my family members who said, you're going to be the family member that is doing it's his dream. Right? And that, that responsibility made me say, you know what, let's see what sobriety really feels like. And who knows? You know, the one thing that everybody asks me, and you probably get it too, or maybe you don't, maybe it stops after a while, is how long are you going to do it? Yeah, nobody, people don't ask me that because if I do it, it's like my whole family okay. so, fails. <laughs> you know, and for me, I don't, you know, so is this, for, is this a forever thing? Right. I'm like. Yeah, all these questions sound weird to me. Like I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say it's forever. But that's why everyone says it's one day at a time. That's right. So I'm like, I don't know. Right now, I'm enjoying sobriety. It seems like it's a it seems like a, a fun new, you know, thing to do for myself to make me feel like every day is new. So I'm gonna keep doing it. 
and, and, and see where life takes me, see what happens. And so far, you know, it's been, it's been fantastic. It's been a fantastic emotional, I'm, I'm, I, it's like lifting weights, I guess. So now when I hear some bad news, I'm addicted to seeing if I can handle it without drinking. That's what I was going to ask. Let's see. You know, I saw some post where somebody said, and it hit me so hard because I get it, where they were like, look, you know, just because you quit alcohol, your life ain't better. You're still going to run into death, accidents, fuck-ups. But you're saying to yourself, you can handle it without having a drink. So that, to me, is the same challenge that I had when my manager said, go in. Because, I, like I said, I was going to turn down both. I, did, I said, I, I don't want to play this character. And my manager was like, well, they're not offering the character to you. It's an audition. <laughs> right. Mr. Man. Mr. Mr. Big Man, Shot. Mr. Big Shot. Yeah. So go in and audition. And when you book it, then tell them no. And I was like, oh. That oh, sounds good. It. I'll book it. Don't tell them. I'm not going to not book it. I'm the baddest motherfucker on the planet. So I book it. And I'm like, I want this part. So this thing was like the same challenge. Like, you hear bad news. You lose friends. You you know, you don't get the job. You know, you lose money, you crash your car. Do you need liquor to handle it, or can you just handle it? And I'm like, I'm gonna handle it. So it's a, a new, a new challenge for me, and I'm gonna, you know, take the challenge, and hopefully, I don't buckle. And Have you had anything horrific happen since you've been sober? Yeah, I lost uh, friends, man. You know, Michael K. Williams. Yeah, passed away. I love that. He's a brother. Lance, but yeah, I see him. my mom still got Alzheimer's. <laughs> like, yeah, I have a lot of bad things happening to me, and I'm finding a way to deal with it without alcohol, and it makes me feel like a superhero. You know what I mean? It makes me feel like, oh, you are stronger than you thought you were. Oh, you do have a mental capacity to be a grown-up. Right. Right? You know, and I, I just realized what I was denying myself. I was denying myself a certain level of growth with alcohol. You know, and I was like, wow, that's, that sucks because everybody around me is growing up and I'm still that okay. party guy. Hey, right. let's have a good right. That just sounds, it felt whack to me. So, yeah. And, and Steve Earl is my man. He is, he is a, a great friend. He, you know, he played my sponsor on the show and he's a beautiful person. And he's another person that, you know, helped me understand how you can still be, you know, creative. You can still be, you know, genuine. And not need advice, so I'm glad you ran into him. Yeah, I've been trying to get him to come on Dopey since we started. I met him in, in meetings back in the day, yeah. and I've been trying to get him on Dopey since we started. I've run into him probably five times. What did he say? He said no. He says call my agent every time. Then, then like one time he, he cut that shit out. He me. gives me his agent's number. So I'm like talking to his agent and his poor agent has to keep, well, let me double check with Steve. So the other day I'm walking up the West Side Highway, Steve Earl's walking down. He knows me and I'm like, fuck, I'm, you know how annoying I am on Instagram. I imagine you run into me all the time yeah, yeah. and I wave at him and he's like, uh, he remembered and he was, and, but his son died. His son died in the past three, four years. So I stopped bothering the agent because I figured, you know, whatever. And he was like, I want to do it. I want to come on the show. And his agent wrote me back and said, in April, we're going to do it. Awesome. So I'm excited for that. Awesome. Um, I had two other things I wanted to mention. Oh yeah. First off, when, when drinking in America is such a hit and the New York Times is saying you're electric and it's, it's so positive, is it hard not to celebrate with a drink? Yeah, this theater experience, again, I love a challenge. This theater experience, I'm, I'm a year, and I just turned a year and eight months sober. And this theater, thank you, thank That's you. me clapping. This theater experience is the hardest because theater 
in my come up, I had my own theater, a part of my own theater company in the Lower East Side. I did the public theater at its best. There's nothing finer than after a show or after a rehearsal, you go to the bar, you have a little whiskey, and you be like, you fucked up your line. You milking that moment. You're, right, right. The audience didn't laugh at this or, you know. It's so connected that this has been the hardest of my sobriety because, yes, I do, after every show, as I walk home, like I dreamt of this when I was little. You do a play, you come out the side, you sign some playbills, you go have a cocktail. Right. And you go have a drink and you think about the scenes, you think about how you can make things better, you talk to a cutie, you know. So, yeah, this has been the hardest part of the sobriety. But I, 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 what stops me is, Homeboy, you got another show the next day. It's only you on the stage, so you can't take no downtime. And you've seen the show. I got to be electric. I got to carry a show for 80 minutes on my own. It's Herculean. Yeah, they, I like that word. It's so, fucking big, so big, yeah, big it's, work. It's, it's been hard, and every day I go home, every time I come home from a show and I dig into that Skippy's peanut butter. <laughs> Are you eating peanut butter? Is that what you're I, celebrating with peanut I butter? Peanut butter and, co- and coffee, caffeine and- uh, No chocolate. No, dark chocolate all day. What do you do? See what I do, and I'm dark sick with chocolate. this. I, 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 I do a plug. I do that. I go to Trader Joe's dark chocolate peanut butter cups. That's a fine peanut Ooh, butter cup. I knock, out a, I knock out that plastic tub of that bad boy. How many peanut butter cups are you eating when you go home? Give me a number. When I go home? Yeah. I'd say 10, easy. Really? Easy. Too. Nightly? Yeah. Good for you, man. I appreciate it. I feel better about myself. I take the, the 78% and dip it. That's right. That's I just true. dip that's like right. that old school Reese's yeah, commercial, right. and I feel right. that. I feel it. I feel that. I knock out. Yeah, I do I, I do 10 because I do three when I get home, and I do three when I'm watching something, and I do three right after I brush my teeth and go, damn, wow, I got <laughs> And then I do two more at night, and then I lay down and be like this. With <laughs> milk or no milk? No milk. And let me ask you this. I'm lactose intolerant. So, you drink oat milk, almond yeah, milk, none of that shit. Oat milk and almond milk and all that is like having a mocktail. It's no. bullshit. You know, when I went to drinking in America, right, they invite me as an influencer to some fucking bar shit beforehand. And my wife drinks wine. She drank wine. And they're like. When your wife drinks a glass of wine, are you, uh, are you going in harder? Like, uh, always. What, what, what am I supposed to do? <laughs> Honey, drink that glass of wine. I love you so much. No, I never, I never drank. I, I wasn't, I just fucking oh, did, drink. I barely drank. Oh, I, okay. I was like a horrible drug addict. I barely drank. Okay. But they have the mocktails and they had this coffee mocktail on the, I drank like three, it's all sugar and coffee and I was like higher than she was. Right. It was That's fucking right. amazing. Yeah, they trying to get me, I'm, I'm being, I'm just being a, just a curmudgeon. They try, every time I go to a bar with my friends or whatever, and you know, the waiter, my friends a shout out, oh yeah, he don't, he don't want to drink. And they go, oh, we got we have great mocktails. I'm like, shut up. Try the coffee, sugar, like, coconut just milk. Co- just give me a Coca-Cola or just give me a goddamn coffee. I don't want a mocktail. I'm walking around like, I'm, now I'm acting again. <laughs> I'm acting like this is a drink and it's not. And I gotta the drink. drink I had was like some kind of sweet coffee thing. Yeah. If you see one of those, okay. try it. I'm not a mocktail person. It's the first time I ever had. Oh, look yeah, at look at the look you're giving me. Huh? I don't drink it either. So it's fair enough. Right, but it felt like I was drinking some fucking crazy iced coffee with sugar. It was amazing. You were drinking crazy iced coffee with sugar. Right. That's what a mocktail is. <laughs> I didn't know. I didn't. I didn't know what. I, I just. I didn't know what it was. I heard. A, I knew a, a woman was at that thing, and she had had a mocktail, and they put alcohol in it, and she was sober. 
Oh, that's horrible. Not on purpose. It was an accident. You think it was a setup? I mean, maybe she didn't tip well. I don't know. <laughs> maybe she left a rotten tip and it was like, you know what? Hit she, with a shot. But she was worried that like it fucked yeah. up her sobriety. Two things and we're done. Okay. Okay. First thing, I want you to tell the Mark Wahlberg story because it's so funny. Mark Wahlberg, man. I, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, Mark is too big to really care. I'm sure he's heard this story. He heard the story before. Maybe that's why I'm not getting a part. <laughs> Maybe that's why I'm not working with Mark. No, Mark is a great guy. Cool dude. Is early in the wire. You know, and one of the things that made the wire stand out was that they were regular people. They hired people in Baltimore to play like side characters. You know, I mean, Snoop. Snoop Pearson. Snoop Pearson is a real person. Felicia Pearson. So we knew, people knew that there was a mix of actors and real people in the show that give it this kind of authenticity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So after the first season, so we go to the HBO parties here and there. And, you know, I think it was like a, a, HBO used to have all the fights, right? So all the fights and you go, to, you go to Vegas or what have you. And then after you go to, you know, the, what do you call it, the post parties. So I'm at a post party or what have you, you know, going to the buffet line. And Mark Wahlberg comes up to me and he goes, hey, you know, just want to say, the show is great, man. You're doing a fantastic job. Look, you got a new shot in life, man. You know, you take this, you take this all away, man. You be good to yourself, right? You know, stay off that shit. And I was like, what? What are you talking about? The buffet? <laughs> like, 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 what shit? And he was like, he gave me a look. And then it kind of hit him. He's like, oh, you're an actor, actor. I said, yeah, yeah, I'm from New York. Blah, 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 blah. I act. I started in theater. And he was like, oh, shit. I thought you was a real junkie. Amazing. I thought they got somebody off this. I heard because he's friends with Dom Lamondozzi. That's his man. And Mark is the type of dude that I've heard in Boston, whatever, he, he helps people. Like, yeah, he goes, yeah. like, yo, I can get you a gig. Get, you know. He was like troubled youth, Mark yeah, Wahlberg. Yeah, yeah. You see somebody that's you know, going the wrong direction. He goes, hey, how about I, I'll make you my script reader, right? Come over here. Let me just show you there's a different path. So he was coming to me with a genuine, like, yo, you're good enough that you can make this a career. Right? And I was like, I'm, I'm a real. It is a career. Right. <laughs> I'm, I'm hoping it can be a career. Right. And it was, he wasn't the first. You know, I had people in LA. That was telling me the weirdest stuff. Like I had, you know, this one producer who was producing these movies, and he wanted me to do some stuff. And he was like, "Yeah, well, you know, we got this other wire actor, and at that time, we can't really have too many wire actors in the same show because then people will start thinking about the wire, which is better than the shit we're doing. Right? And we don't want that." I'm like, "Okay." And he was like, "You know what might be good for you? Like PR people were like in the room, like the world wants to believe that Bubbles is now an actor." That's just a better story. I mean, this is Hollywood. So why don't you say that you had some heroin addictions, you had, you had some issues, and now you're an actor? And I was like, wait, so just lie on my life. Like, my mom and dad, fuck all. They, they were like, knowing that Andre is an actor that played Bubbles, that's an okay story. But knowing that Bubbles is now an actor, we can work with that. And everybody, everybody was telling me when I got to L.A. in 03, before I got the uh, My Name is Earl edition, a lot of casting directors were like, Aren't you real? Like, they thought I was a real junkie for real. And I didn't know how to argue that or get mad at that because it's a hell of a compliment. It's the ultimate compliment <laughs> you know, it's like, and the ultimate disrespect yeah, at exactly the so same if time. If I can't act, then why don't you just give me a role? But they were saying to me that at that time, you know, it's harder for Hollywood to see me now be a teacher, a lawyer, a sex symbol. <laughs> right. I'm, the, I'm Bubbles. You know, if you play, if you play a, a, a leader of a, a gang, you could be a leader of a cop, of the cops. You, you know, a leader becomes a leader in any position. But when you play a, you know, a hapless, you know, 
derelict that's trying to survive, he can't be a cop. You know, it takes ind- it took independent films to give me that. Like I give credit to the spectacular now. Yeah. Blanking on the director's name right now. I have no idea the name. He's a cool dude, and he was like, he believed in you. He saw you. He's like, I love Bubbles. You're a great actor. Play this teacher, and all of a sudden, Hollywood's like, oh, he looks pretty good in a a certain time. Well, it's like it it says that people. Let's say you are Bubbles. Can't Bubbles recover like you are recovering? I am recovering. Whatever. Can't like how many teachers out there were junkies? It's a thing. Exactly, but nobody wants to put that brand on their thing. James Gunn was another dude. He put me in Super as a short order cook. And Hollywood has always been a show me town, right? So they're like, oh, he, show can't me. Be a, he can't be a regular guy. But truth be told, whenever I pop, on, uh, pop up on screen, there's always somebody in the order, Bubs, look at Bubs, he's doing his thing. Right. So it's stuck. It's crazy, though, because you're not a heroin addict. You're not a heroin addict. You're not a street person. Massive hug. You're talking about that third season. I don't mean me jump all over the place, but I want to make sure everybody understands how much of a, uh, uh, like you said, a compliment, a backhanded compliment, right? But Sam was cool. Sam Jackson was like, I feel like one of my mentors. I inspired to be, you know, as, you know, as good as he is and as far as prolific as he is, as far as body of work. And so, sobriety. Yeah. He saw me, I think we were doing, I think I had a chance to be on SWAT, but I, the, the schedule, scheduling didn't work out. But I came on set and Sam saw me and ran up to me and was like, yo, you did that thing. You did that. Gave me a mad hug. And it was like Gator hugging me. Right, right. For real. You did that. And I was like, yo, I'm a little burnt out, man. Like, I'm a little, I think I'm, it's, it's wearing on me a little bit. He was like, what? Come on, boy. You just got in the game, man. And you got an iconic character. Like, you just got in the game. In his mind, you just got in. And out the gate, you have a character that's going to live forever. You can't complain. Just go back there and finish the job. And as long as you stay at that level of acting, in your craft, you can do anything you want. And I was like, all right, well, give me Tarantino's number, motherfucker. <laughs> right. That's my guy. <laughs> okay. But he's, you know, the compliments and the love that I've gotten for Bubs, it means a lot. It's everything to me. And right now, drinking in America, the experience of being on stage, the experience of seeing the audience and how they, you know, gravitate towards my uh, performance and give me the love in New York Times. You know, it's the first time in a long time I felt like I'm doing The Wire again. Right, or uh, To Leslie, though. To Leslie was brilliant. It was great. To Leslie was the first time. It was in the middle of COVID. Like, it was just coming out of COVID. Me and Mark Marin, who was my buddy, and we were like, let's do this Let's do this part, man. And Mark thought it was the safest because we were getting tested every two days. Yeah, he's very paranoid. The bubbles. Yeah. He's like, this is safer than being in a grocery store. I'll do it. And watching Andrea Risenborough. Sick. She, she was just doing a thing. She just reminded me of that above. like going in and committed and being there. It was a, a brilliant to watch. And I just, I, at that point, I had thought independent film was over. Like everything was box office and blockbusters. Everything was, you know, superheroes, Transformers, you know, Disney. Everything was this big. I thought maybe storytelling was, you know, the, the small indie films were going to die out. So when this came out and I read it, and it's about addiction. Were you sober for that one? Was I sober for that one? Oh, I don't, I don't. Because your character was sober. My character was not sober. He drank. He drank, but he he was like some crazy acid eater. I do acid. You know, I did all the things. I tried all the stuff. Right, right. The character. It was a great character. I don't think I. I don't know if I don't think I was sober. I I think maybe I just started, 
I'm not sure, but I knew, I remember just being in, on the set and just having a good time at, do, at, at doing an indie film. Cause I, I, you know, I think those are great storytellers. I think we did that in 18 days. We're banging it out. And it just felt like, like theater. It just felt like my craft. So that, that, was, that was really cool. And then to see it blow up and see her get uh, you know, nominated, it's, just, it's, it's, a cool, it's a testament to the audience's loving storytelling. You know, so. But it's interesting, though, how sobriety is always hovering around well, you. I mean, again, liquor finds a way. And, and, and my dedication to playing Bubs and, and understanding the addiction, I think the universe is saying, well, these parts are going to be good for you. And you'll show your, your talent over and over and over again. And hopefully it will lead to bigger and better things. And so I think the universe is making sure that, you know, when in doubt, I'll always have a job. <laughs> like when in doubt, you know, you might not be James Bond, but you can be that drunk dude that he talks to. And <laughs> it gives you the information. Well, there you go. I think that's incredible. Now, I have, I have a proposal. Yeah. I don't know if you're going to like this idea. Okay. Well, that's a hard way to sell it. Okay. There's a, there's a folder on the floor next to you. Could you pass me that folder, please? This is how they start. Now, in this folder, yes, there is a very short scene from The Wire between Bubbles and Johnny that I, I transcribed myself on the train on the way here today. Okay. Now, would you play the part with me? Can we read a table reading from The Wire right now? Oh, no, man. You, guys, you talk to David Simon about this? Shit? No, definitely not. I've got two scenes. We've got the first scene. They're very short scenes. The first scene was after the, the money scam. The second scene is after the Copper House scam. You can be Bubbles or John. And I, I'll, I'm, I'm, I'm very flexible in my, in my acting. You know what? I think to be respectful to my wide crew, I don't know if I can do this, but I can, see, I can hear you do it and I can see if you do a good Bubbles. So you'll do Johnny and I'll do Bubbles? I'll do, I'll do Johnny. I had Mike, Michael Imperioli from The Sopranos, Christopher. He did the same thing. I had him do this. Uh -huh. He wouldn't play Christopher, but he played the junkie. Okay, so I'll be Johnny. So you want to do the first one? All right. Yeah, I'll do the first one, yeah. Okay. Yo. Okay, hold on. Okay. Now, now I'm embarrassed already. All right, here we go. Here. Don't forget, you're a black guy. Yeah, I mean, I, it's going to be Fuck shameful. It's going to be shameful. Okay. Yeah, give me Robert Downey Jr. and Tropic Thunder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's see if we get the, the shoe polish. Here we go. Yo, you need to paste that shit, man. Yo, Johnny, man, you hear me? I'm cool. Nah, you're going to fall out, man, slamming shit like that one of these days. Hmm. Yo, 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 I'm trying to give you a little game, man, but you want to pretend like you know something, hmm? I know a lot, bubs. Nah, you green. I'm trying to get you, I'm trying to get you brown, man. You still green. You going to make me brown? Yo, bubs, let me do the scan tomorrow. Come on, man, I'm ready. Yo, I'm brown. Shit. You ain't even fucking beige. Excellent <laughs> beige. I like that. Thank you. Thank you. You just made my fucking dream come true. Wire for life, baby. Andre Royo, I cannot tell you. Thank you. Thank you. No, thank you. Thank you. Congratulations on your sobriety. Congratulations for creating a platform that you can talk to people, reach people, share your journey and give people a, a certain sense of belonging. You know, we all got to find our tribe and, you know, sobriety and being clean. It's its own tribe. It's its own human experience. And thank you for 
giving people a place to go with that. All right. Drugs, addiction, and dumb shit, man. Bravo, bravo. Thank you so All much. Because right. that was some dumb shit right there. Oh, come on. In a good way. Yeah, it was great. Can you guys believe that? Andre Royo dropping the truth on Dopey. Andre Royo reenacting a scene from The Wire with me where he plays Johnny and I play Bubs. It, it's, it melts my psyche. But I want to give full disclosure about something. When we, were at, uh, when we were at Time, I was in charge of the gear and I had never used their gear and it got all fucked up. Um, the recording was bad and the, the reason it has a weird waiver to it. And it's, it's because our editor, Amelia had to save it. There was like no level on Andre's side and she put it together from scratch by herself. So let's give a huge thank you and shout out to Amelia. I also want to give a huge thank you and shout out to Claire, our dopey intern. She's, she's basically running Instagram. I mean, I pick all the memes, so don't, don't go crazy. But Claire is running all the reels. Claire is tirelessly doing work and putting in effort and keeping us young. So thank you, Claire, and thank you, Amelia, and thank you, Andre Royo. Fucking hell. Oh, my God. What a thrill. There's been so much talk about Kratom lately. Uh, Kratom has been, like, on everyone's mind, and I got this really, really good email I want to read about Kratom real quick. They said... Hey, Dave, I wanted to jump in on the Kratom conversation in hopes of sparing someone from trying it and ending up in the same situation as me. After 15 plus years of hard drugs and alcohol abuse, I got sober in 2018, which required inpatient rehab. A few months out, I heard about Kratom or Kratom. I, don't, I still don't know how to pronounce it on an alternative wellness podcast and decided it was fine to try. It's herbal, not illegal, alternative healing, etc., in my previous addiction, I had never heard of it whatsoever and had no context of it being addictive or a drug. I was in post-acute withdrawal syndromes and trying to find herbal modalities to help with energy and anxiety. There are bougie kratom shops where I live. That market is as similar to a holistic juice bar vibe. Okay, the, the store looked like a juice bar to her. Within a short amount of time, I realized I was violently ill if I didn't take it in the morning. I was trying to get my life back together and didn't have time or emotional energy for another detox. So I kicked that can down the road for five years. The things I can say about it. I have been severely depressed this entire time. I felt like a zombie and watched my personality fade into basically a robot with no desire to connect with people. I had constant anxiety and daily panic attacks. I was worried constantly about the unknown effects on my liver and kidneys. Spoiler alert, it did have a negative effect, which necessitated me getting off of it. The shame this addiction caused me was just as bad as the other things I used to be addicted to. Other than a little energy and a nice little buffer between me and my feelings, I received no positive benefits and was only taking it to not get severely sick, which is a terrible waste of money. I'm five days off Kratom today, and even though I tapered to a pretty low dose before jumping off, I still feel like shit, but I'm glad to be getting this monkey off my back. Even only five days later and sick, I can feel my old spirit coming back to life and feeling more joyful and connected to those around me, really laughing for real. I forgot what that felt like. 
regardless of how long this detox takes, I'm never taking it again. If there are dopes who are thinking about taking it or thinking they can get away with it, my sincere suggestion is don't. I had a pretty gnarly relapse of the more hardcore variety during the pandemic when my husband died at 39 of alcoholism. I'm very sorry about that. Uh, I'm thankful that I didn't die during that time and was able to pull myself back up. The Kratom is the last thing to go. Dopey has helped me a lot. I've listened since 2018. You are doing the Lord's work. Much love. And then she didn't want me to say her name. So, I mean, listen, that that's a great message of hope. It's a warning about Kratom. I don't know if you're a Kratom person. I mean, I you know, if you're a pro-Kratom person out there, I'm interested in hearing some pro-Kratom or Kratom. I, I could also appreciate help in pronouncing it. I would love to hear your story. And I know I've heard some people who, who basically were like, well, it's better than heroin. Anybody out there, be careful. That's all I'm saying. Be careful about the Kratom and the Kratom. I also got this voicemail from a wonderful dopey listener, Josh, in, uh, in Kansas. So let me just play that real quick. Hi, Dave. It's Josh from Kansas. It's been a while since I left you a voicemail. Um, you've been asking some questions about Kratom here lately. And um, when I've called in the past, I've mentioned uh, that I was clean and sober for nearly three years, um, uh, three and a half. But I've been taking Kratom that whole time. And um, now I'm wanting to get off of it just because I don't want any vices in my life except smoking, of course. But um, I tried to go without just cold turkey for two days and the first day wasn't bad the second day I felt like I was gonna die I'm an opiate addict just like you and everyone else and um, I would say the withdrawals from Kratom are just as bad as opioids and heroin so um, yeah it's it's nothing to mess with it it did serve a purpose in my life um, it gave me energy, it gave me that extra boost to put one foot in front of the other and um, to go to work every day when I didn't want to um, because, you know, I'm a junkie and I always have had that voice, even sober, and that little voice in my head that tells me, hey man, just take it easy today, call in sick from work, you know, you go to work every day. Um, and the Kratom kept me from doing that. It gave me just like I said that extra boost so it you know for anyone wondering if Kratom is the answer and to listen to all the folklore about how Kratom will get you off of opiates it's just substituting one addiction for another it's awful stuff I don't know what it has done to my body but I take uh, 60 to 80 grams a day of Kratom which is a lot um, in my opinion and so trying to get off of it has been a real bitch. Uh, I just saw the doctor yesterday and I'm going to try Vivitrol and he did prescribe me like 10 Librium just in case just in case shit gets bad. Um, so I will keep you updated and let you know how that goes and um, man I love your show. Uh, I just, I love your show and love what you do. Thank you for everything, Dave. You're awesome. I need to get more involved in the Dopey Nation community and Zoom meetings and stuff. Um, but thumbs up from Kansas. Stay strong, Dopey Nation. 
Toodles for Chris. Peace out. All right. Thank you, Josh. And and there's this, that's the Kratom scoop for today. And in and, and Dopey Nation, they're doing a Dopey Nation Zoom all about Kratom or Kratom or however you pronounce it properly. It's on Thursdays. The Dopey Zoom address is 804-300-586. The password is Toodles. If you're looking for a meeting and you don't want to go to a meeting in person, definitely check out the Dopey Nation Zoom. All of the information is posted on Dopey Instagram. So check that out. So for all the hardcore Dopey Nation folks out there, I know you guys are big fans of my father. And if you really pay attention to what he's interested in, you know that he is obsessed at a criminal level with his NBA fantasy team. And it is the end of the uh, season for the National Basketball Association, which means it's the end of the season for my dad. So here he is back on the show, my dad. Welcome back, Dad. Uh, yeah, hi, hi, everybody. Hi. It, what do you, I'm not. It's not criminal, you know, to to think about fantasy basketball. That that's not criminal. There was a time I remember where you would sit at the computer and pay very close attention to your investments. I'd come into the house and you'd be on some sort of site and you'd be tracking stocks and be very excited about making money. But a few years ago, that all changed. And instead, when I come home, I find you pouring over statistics. You might do three practice drafts, hours wasted on stats. Are you even paying attention to uh, the inheritance, the legacy, the money that goes to the children and me, perhaps? No, I'm, I'm not. Forget the money. The money is over with. <laughs> Finished with worrying about the money. Now, fantasy basketball is way more important. Way more. Anyway, by the way, the season is over on Sunday. There's t- today. Well, today, I don't know what you're telling everybody, but today is Friday. Tomorrow, hardly anybody's playing. And then Sunday is the last day. And boy, it's getting down to the nitty gritty now. Boy. Now, there's, really a guy, there's a guy in Minnesota. He goes by the name of Senor Dios Mio. He's he's yes. he's potentially you know homicidal. <laughs> Something's going on with him, <laughs> and he's obsessed with you. And he's obsessed with you beating Seymour. So just for Senor Dios Mio out there, what is the status of you and Seymour? And where am I in the standings these days? Oh, oh, okay. That's that's a very good point. Very, very good point. But but I think Senor uh, Senor Dios went to high went to the same high school that mommy went to. I think he went to George Washington High School in Washington Heights. So maybe I you're said, maybe you're as obsessed with Senor Dios Mio as he is with you. No, 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 no. I, I'm listen. I'm not obsessed with anything. I am calm and cool and moderate. That's me. Calm and cool. Yes. All right. Here's the deal. Daryl has first place locked up with yes. 69 points. And just right, hold on, now. hold on, Dopey Nation. Daryl is Seymour's son. Keep going. Exactly. There's another blankety blank in the lead. And then I, right now, am in second place with 62 points. Yes, yes. And here's the problem. Seymour is in third place with 61 points. Oh, my God. And and let me tell you, it is getting oh, and you are in fourth place. You have fourth place locked up. 
Nice. You are you're, you got fourth place locked up. So in the top four, there are two blanks and two Mannheims in the top four. Yes. But I will be really disappointed in Seymour. So what uh, has to ha- how how so he's one point behind you? He's one point behind. He's one point behind. And let me show you exactly what it means. He and there's a, and then there's a chance that that I may be saved by believe it or not by Nicholas who's in seventh place. It seems that Seymour could lose a point to Nicholas if Nicholas gets his team to get some rebounds. He has five thousand and twenty-seven rebounds, and Seymour has five thousand and sixty-four. But I think Seymour blew it, and he doesn't have that many people to, to play anymore. Dad, so, Dad, Dad, you're, you're ruining the show with the minutia of this thing. Nobody oh, knows who okay. Nicholas is. What you should know about Nicholas is that his husband ruined my father's 75th surprise party by telling him, telling my dad about it, and then showing up high. So shame on Nicholas's husband. I just want to say that. Oh, good grief. You, you, you bring shame. All these- shame. Shame on him and the people that rented my dad's apartment without paying and making a mess. Shame on Nicholas's husband and those other people. Yeah, anyway, hold look, on, hold on, hold on. Be, be, before you say another word, can you remind me of how Nicholas's husband ruined your surprise party at Katz's again? Yeah, the, the the week before my birthday, all of a sudden he asked me for directions to go to Katz's on on the night that I knew I was going to meet you and Linda there just to have dinner. So I got very suspicious. Hard. Now, why is he asking me? Yeah, and he showed yeah, up. Sure wasted reeking of weed so shame on him now dad so so we have a we're gonna have to milk this thing until next week to find out who wins you versus seymour so senior dios mio uh stand down and stand by is there anything else you'd like to mention dad before we call it a show well, I would like the Dolby Nation to know that we had a wonderful Passover Seder last night, yes. which was the second night, and I show up at my my brother Kevin's apartment, and he walks up and he hands me two you know two parts of a, a coconut to hand it to me with a big smile on his face, and obviously they were making fun of me because I brought those coconuts home from Florida to give to my grandchildren. So everybody was having a good time. And then, of course, I called Nora over, and and Nora certainly said how she loved her grandpa's present of coconuts. Well, I'm going to read a message I got from dopey superfan Stacy Bierman, who used to be an Allen superfan. She writes, Ugh. Alan bringing home the used coconut and dirty straw from his vacation. My parents went to Disney when my daughter was four, and they brought her back the shampoo, conditioner, lotion bottles from their hotel room. You know, and then, and then, and then two unhappy emojis. And I'll tell you this. If they had free shampoo and conditioner, my dad wouldn't have brought them home because he would have kept them for himself. Right? I didn't think, no, I didn't take any of those. I did, I think I took a comb though. I think, well, maybe not. I, I didn't take anything. Is there anything uh, else, is there anything else you'd like to share before we end this one? No, I, no, that's, I mean, I, I think the girls were very happy with the coconuts. 
Yes, uh, that's I thought, great. I thought it was a sweet cake. And the wheels, the wheels of uh, <laughs> denial and uh, you know faulty understanding of the world continue, but that's okay. Thank you, Dad. I love you. And and uh, any any update on the construction in your apartment that's also destroyed oh, well, the show? Well, it turns out I guess it's the holiday. There was there was no noise yesterday, and there's no noise today. So tune in and we'll see what happens on Monday. Uh, but right now it's been quiet. I mean, you're right, Dave. You're 100% right. It was really a racket here. Boy, terrible. I just worry about you. It's so loud and, and it's it's like it's in your brain when you're there. It's so it's it's too loud to be there. Well, you know, you're right. If it's if it's so terrible Monday morning, I'm gonna go out. I hope it's good weather. Yes, I think you're 100% right. So you, Dad, you remember when we were at at your house and that guy. Doug Bobst came over, the fitness instructor guy? Yeah, yeah, yes. We're ending this week's show with Doug Bobst and the new Dopey Fitness Challenge because I'm looking to finally get in shape for this summer. Are you interested in participating in the Dopey Fitness Challenge, Dad? Well, I listen, part of my schedule that I'm trying to keep is exercise, but I have a problem that if I overdo it, it's, it, it's worse. So the answer is most likely I wouldn't be able to do what you're supposed to be doing. Even drinking all that water, I think, was too much for me. Because who can drink so much water during the day? Uh, but but I would be interested to see what, what you're supposed to be doing. Yes, and maybe I can modify it. Yes, maybe that, that's possible. All right, so thank you, Dad. And here we go with Doug Bobst. And the Dopey Fitness Challenge. So say goodbye to everybody, Dad. All right. Bye-bye, everybody. And please uh, be good and stay healthy. Toodles for Chris. All right. Thanks, Dad. So it's the end of winter, the beginning of spring. The flowers are blossoming. Every year sometime during winter, I'm like, holy shit, I got to get my shit together and get on a diet, get my get get my body in shape. And, and I'm getting old, you know. I'm coming up on, on 49 49 years old this year and like my dream of being fit is is slowly flying away or maybe it's quickly flying away so we're trying to reinstitute the dopey fitness challenge and i met this guy doug bobst virtually many years ago through chris i think through chris and megan kenny remember megan kenny she had the podcast with her dad. She was from Boston. She loved psychedelics. Anyway, she introduced us to Doug Bobst, who is a fitness trainer, and he's going to take a shot at whipping us into shape. So here we go. Doug Bobst and the new Dopey Fitness Challenge. Now on the phone, we have fitness trainer, podcaster, author, and person in recovery, a new friend of mine, to whip us into shape for the new Dopey Fitness Challenge, and just full disclosure, I'm incredibly fat and gross at this point in my life. Mr. Bobst, what do I do? What does the Dopey Nation do? Dave, thanks for having me, man. I'm really excited for this. I would say like the first thing is you mentioned that you're fat and gross, and yes. I think that a lot of times when people want to make a change and they have a negative um connotation as to why they want to change. I feel fat. I feel gross. A lot of times it doesn't um, work well because you end up thinking is whatever change you're going to make as some sort of punishment, right? So I think it's important to understand reality in that 
maybe you're unhappy with um, where you are in your fitness, where you are in your health, but that doesn't necessarily define who you are as a person and that you have to think about like what's the deep why, what's the emotional connection as to why you want to make this massive change or anybody who's listening to this, why they want to make this massive change. Is it because um, they want to be able to walk like their daughter down the aisle? Is it because they want to be able to coach their kids in sports when they're older? Is it because they want to take active vacations with their spouse? Is it because they just want a better way to survive, right? I know, I know a lot of times in early recovery, it's all about survival. So you have to find ways just to, to survive and figure out ways to manage your emotions. So I think once you can identify that, then it's not the fact that you're doing this because you're fat and gross. Now you're doing it because you believe in yourself enough that you want something more for yourself. And then you can start to build off of that and then progress forward instead of like thinking, thinking of this as some sort of punishment. Cause if you think of it as a punishment because of who you are, I mean, people quit all the time because they don't see the value. in it. Well, but I mean, just because I'm doing it because I think I'm fat and gross doesn't mean it's a punishment. I'll tell you, I'm going to break it down. Full disclosure. Okay, it's a couple of things. First of all, I think I've only been close to happy with my physicality one time, and that was after months of keto, probably destroying my heart and body in another different way. And the other thing is like we just started shooting videos for Dopey, and someone sent me the video they shot, and I looked at myself in the video, Doug, and I looked fat and gross. Isn't that enough? Isn't that enough of a reason without having to punish myself? I mean, yes. I just think that. I mean, I listen. A I'm, lot of I'm active. <clears throat> I do hundreds of push-ups every day. I could walk from here to eternity, but I'm still fat and gross. So what the fuck do I do? I think you just have to get crystal clear on your habits and what you're doing every single day. And you have to set some realistic goals. And what I mean by that is, okay, let's just say for the sake of argument that you, you calling yourself fat and gross doesn't have this negative connotation that it can for other people want to address that. So you got to figure out, okay, like what is it that I'm currently doing today? You mentioned you're doing pushups. What are some other things you're doing? How are you eating? What's your hydration like? What's your sleep like? All right, How much talk. are you moving you ready? your body? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you today, all right? Because let's last go. night, I, I last yesterday was a fail. Yesterday I failed. Um, and I, I hear, I appreciate you I in terms of not being so hard on myself. But let's break it down. I like to tell people that I do well during the day and badly at night. But yesterday I did badly during the day also. I decided to splurge and take my daughter to Starbucks before school, and then I wound up taking her friend and our, and our other daughter, and I was just going to get a black iced coffee, but instead I got the shaken espresso brown sugar with oat milk drink. That was probably not good. I got my younger daughter the bacon, egg, and Gruyere biscuit at Starbucks, to which she didn't like it, so I felt like I had to eat it, because we couldn't waste it. And then the day went on. Uh, I think I had a healthy lunch. Did I have a healthy lunch? I think I had a healthy lunch. And then I, I, I fucked something up at work. I'm, I'm just finding... I fucked something up at work and I took solace in a bowl of cocoa chimps, which are basically organic 
uh, Cocoa Puffs with chocolate chips, mini semi-sweet morsels, and chocolate syrup during the day with milk. 2%. Doug Bobes. Then we had dinner. I had chicken cutlets with stuffing, french fries, and asparagus. Doug Bobes. What do you think? <laughs> this is bad. And then afterwards, I had a, a Yasso yogurt pop, 70 calories, which was a little victory. So what do we do? What Today, though, okay, I woke up feeling bad about myself. Um, I, I got to work. I, I, took, I walked for a half an hour. I did, I think I did 270, I think I did 280 push-ups. I did 200 crunches, and I walked for a half an hour, drank a glass of water. I just had a smoothie with peanut butter and banana. Is that a, is that a bad one? Talk to me. What am I doing wrong? What do we have to do? Well, I think first of all, you're validating my point in that you're, you're shaming yourself for your habits and the way that you look. And for I yesterday think that, or, for, or for in general? Well, I think just not, I mean, I know you, I think well enough to know that you are hard on yourself and you do in, in many ways set a high standard for, for yourself and that when you don't live up to that or you do something that's out of alignment with that, you feel ashamed with yourself. And I think that's why taking it one day at a time in, in the health and wellness space, just like in recovery is so important because there's two things. A, a lot of times we future trip in the health and wellness space too. What I mean by that, just like when you walk into a, your first AA meeting, NA meeting, and you see somebody who's 10 years sober and you're like two days sober, you're like, how the hell am I going to make it to 10 years, right? How am I going to make it to five years? I can't, I can't even barely make it five hours. And then you future trip and then people are like, well, I might as well not even do it because that just seems so impossible to me. Same thing happens with health, right? To where, let's just say you have a goal to, I'm making this up, to lose 20 pounds or to no, do X my amount goal. of push-ups. My goal is to lose okay. 20 pounds. So where do we start with right. this goal? I want to lose. To... I want to lose the weight by the end of the month, Doug Bobst. What do we? I'm just kidding. I, I, that was me, future tripping. <laughs> so, so let's come up with a strategy. And 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 first of all, I want to know what's wrong with the shaming. Like, I find that shaming is a great uh, motivator for me. Not good. This is not a healthy maneuver. I think it depends on the person, right? I think you have to find what works for you. I'd say in general, you know, I've been training people for 12 years. And what I found is shaming works for very few people. It works for people that maybe have been through some hard times like yourself, or you just identify with, um, you know, negative behavior. You can't do negative behavior anymore. You have to just you know, throw it away and identify, you're comfortable with identifying with your flaws, right? Right. And a lot of people just aren't, they have a hard time with it. They, when they think of themselves as, as fat and gross, they think of themselves as unhealthy or they attach some sort of identity to who they are as a person that's negative, that can bring them down. Again, not everyone, but it's just like a lot of people, they have a hard time identifying as a drug addict the rest of their lives. They have a hard time accepting that. While a lot of other people, they embrace it and they love it. So I just think you have to find what works for you. And I think developing self-awareness around what you're doing, like you just said to me today about yesterday, which is great because it's twofold. You identified what you were eating. You identified why things snowballed. You mentioned stress at work. You mentioned you know, how you just built upon your unhealthy choices because of shame. Um, and doing all these things, like, that's good because most people have no awareness around that. So with that said, 
It's like, all right, one day at a time, like what can you focus on today to be healthier than you were yesterday? Is it eating a little bit less than you did yesterday? Same types of foods, but less. Is it moving more? Is it walking more? Is it drinking more water? I mean, I would say a good start for you. What I always tell people is to make sure you're drinking at least half your body weight in fluid ounces of water, making sure you're aiming to get a, um, a gram of protein per pound of uh, goal body weight. So if your goal is to get down to 180 pounds or 150 pounds, then you would eat 150 grams of protein or 180 grams of protein because protein obviously helps you build muscle. It helps the satiety, keeps you fuller longer, and it's just a really important thing to focus on. Satiety? That's being satiated, right? Satiety. That's a good word. How do I figure out how many grams of protein I'm eating? Um, again, I think it comes down to, to awareness. And um, I mean, people can either look at something like my fitness pal, or they can look at like a, an online calorie counter. And that's one way for people who don't, um, it can be kind of tricky. I mean, I would say that typically like a four ounce chicken breast has like 25 grams of protein roughly. How do you know? Um, that? Cause I've been doing it for so long that this isn't, you know, it's not my first rodeo. And so I'm like kind of crazy in the sense where I can remember a lot of how much uh, protein certain foods have like eggs for instance a whole egg has roughly like six to seven grams of protein per egg just depending on the size of the egg um, same thing with like turkey breast it's about four ounces is, is around 24 25 grams and the reason that it's harder to really get clear on what you're doing with with health when you're eating a lot of processed foods is because like like I just said it's easy to count and, and then figure out like how much you're how much protein you're getting in from a chicken breast. But when you throw in like a, a bacon, you know, pickles and mayonnaise and everything else, then you got to figure out, well, shoot, how many calories is in the burger? How many calories in the bacon? And then it's like, uh, you're, it's, it's, it's almost like you're doing mental gymnastics to try to figure out like what it is you're eating. A lot of people will give up that way. So, all right, well, this um, is the first week of the dopey fitness challenge. So wherever anybody is at in the Dopey Nation, last time we tried to do this, it was with Jeremy Jackson from Baywatch. And his big, yeah, yeah. his big thing for us to do was to drink, I think he wanted us to drink like half a gallon of water a day. And that was it for the first beginning. I think I might have done it like for a day or something. What, what can we suggest as a start? Let's say this is week one. What do we want to see? First thing is don't shame unless it motivates you. I mean, Amy Dresner says, fuck shame. Uh, sometimes shame is a great motivator for people, for me as well. You know, I, I, sometimes the shame, it, it's like, the, it's like uh, the fire that keeps me going. But I'm going to put the shame aside because ultimately it probably doesn't serve me. So what would you suggest for week one for the Dopey Nation? We'll take the Jeremy Jackson water suggestion and we'll build that in. What else? Right, so half your body weight in fluid ounces and water, I think, is a great one to add in or to keep. Um, and then I think just walking more. I mean, because so many people have different fitness levels, they have different strength levels, they have different um, access to a fitness facilities. I think just aiming to get, you know, just to trying to get like you know, six to to eight thousand steps a day. Okay, is a great as a great barometer. I mean, a great first step because. Um, you know, with so many people now, um, you, you know, even a lot of people that I know that 
um, are newly into fitness are wearing Fitbits. They're wearing um, Apple Watches. We have iPhones. There's, I mean, if you have a smartphone, I'm pretty sure I, I, I've never had a Droid or a, a Google phone, but I would imagine that they have an app similar to the iPhone where it tracks your steps, where it'll tell you how many steps you walk every single day. And the way to do this is you don't necessarily have to like just, you know, go outside and say, I'm going to go for a walk. I mean, that's one way. Another way is, you know, after a meal, set a timer and go for like a eight to 10 minute walk after each meal. Or it's to take your dog for a walk or what, or your family or whoever, and just add in a few more minutes than you would before. So if you normally go for a 15 minute walk, try to go 20 minutes, try to go 25 minutes, whatever it is. And the other thing is, is like when you're going to a store, I think it's human nature because we're in such a rush to try to get in and out of the store as fast as possible, which again, I don't blame people because people are short on time, but I would park as far away from the store as you can. That's a great, that's a great additional way to get extra steps in. The other thing too, is if you're able to, and you don't have like knee pain and stuff, taking the stairs instead of the elevator is a great way to get additional steps. So these are a few ways to create more movement in your life without having to do much. Because the reality is people are busy, people are short on time, people are stressed. So adding in steps wherever it's already convenient for you is the, is the best way to do it. Like if you're going to take the elevator, you know, taking the steps isn't going to really inconvenience, inconvenience you that much because no matter what, you got to go up some floors, right? Just like um, taking your dog for a walk and going a little bit extra isn't going to be much of an inconvenience because you're already walking your dog anyway. Right. Parking further away from a store isn't going to be much of an inconvenience because you're already going to the store anyway. So I would just start there, build off of where you're at, aim, like I said, for six to 8,000 steps. If you're already doing that, great. Try to get 10,000. If you're already getting 10,000, you're doing amazing. Try to Try to move a little bit more. All right. So we drink water. We add steps. Dude, my dad lives on the 21st floor. Am I going to have to do 21 fucking flights? Is that what you're suggesting? Well, I, I mean, for people like you, you live in the, I mean, you not, you live, um, you know, I know you live in Long Island and you come to the city. So you get, I'm sure you get a fair amount of walking in, in the city when you're there. Well, I've been switching, um, I've been switching from escalator to stairs at every turn. Uh, and I'm, okay. try, I'm trying to add more walking, but I'm going to start. Uh, definitely, I'll go down the 21 flights. Going up, that would be next level, I think. Maybe that's week four going up the steps, 21 flights. Maybe that's a week four right, goal. Cause I, yeah, because a lot of it, listen, there's a lot of parallels, obviously, between food addiction and um, unhealthy you know, fitness habits and drug addiction, right? A lot of it comes down to, to behavior habits rewiring the brain, being consistent, being disciplined. And so that's what we're trying to do here is to build discipline, build habits, because let's face it, I would say that most people listening to this know that exercise is beneficial for them. I would say most people listening to this know that you should drink more water and that you should eat vegetables and eat protein. But a lot of people have trouble like building the discipline and habits to make these things last, right? And especially for people that like myself, like you are have struggled with drug addiction where we're like, we become fixated on instant gratification or we want to do things and see results just to get an external thing and then kind of just move on to the next thing. It's important just to, to build 
um, a foundation that's going to, to last a lot longer. All right. Well, Doug, I think this is a great, a great start to our fitness challenge. If you want to hear more of Doug Bobst, he has a podcast called The Adversity Advantage, which I'm going to turn up on very soon. He's coming to tell his full gnarly arrest dopey story very soon. Uh, he's got three books. What are the books, Doug? I know that one is The Heart of Recovery. What are the other books? The Heart of Recovery, Faith, Family, Fitness. Yes, Faith, and, Family, Fitness. And From Felony to Fitness to Free. All right, lots of Fs. From Felony to Fitness to Free, Faith, Family, Fitness, and The Heart of Recovery. And check out his podcast, The Adversity Advantage. And thank you for, for doing this, Doug. I think we're going to whip myself and the Dopey Nation into some serious shape. Awesome, man. Thanks for having me. and looking forward to helping the Dopey Nation get fit and looking forward to helping you not feel so fat and gross, fat and gross about yes. yourself. Yes, it's a, it's, a, it's a great journey. The great journey starts today. Thank you, Doug. Yep. All right, so that's, that's Doug. That's the end of the show. Uh, full disclosure, I recorded the Dopey Fitness Challenge thing a day before Passover, and I ate like a pig at Passover macaroons, brownies, my Uncle Kevin's brisket, kugel, just, you know, whatever. I ate too much. But today I've, I've, I've done good. Just grilled chicken. I'm fucking going for it. Protein, water, all that shit. Anyway, thank you, everybody. Thank you, Doug Bopes. Thank you, Dad. Thank you, Andre Royo. Thank you, Emily. Thank you, Josh. Thanks to everyone out there who's participating. Thank you, Dopey Nation Facebook administrators. Thank you, Katie B., for all of your tireless efforts. Thank you, Butchie, for coming on the Patreon. Thank you to all the patrons. Thank you to Ray Brown, who's flying across the country hiking with Steve Schneider in Tucson, Arizona. Thank you, Steve Schneider, for keeping Ray Brown company. Uh, thank you, Stephanie Roberts, for all of your dopey Zoom business. I got this uh, note from Stephanie. I'm going to read it really quick. There's a guy who started coming to Dopey Zoom during the recent marathon, and he's like Scott Wick 2.0. I don't know if that's a good thing. He was still smoking weed for the first several days, and then he decided to quit. Tomorrow he will have seven days off of the devil's lettuce. It would be badass if you could shout him out on the show. He's obsessed with Dopey Podcast. His name is Daniel M. He is a rock star. Congratulations, Daniel M., and uh, thank you, Stephanie, and thank you, everybody. Thank you, Amelia. Thank you, Claire. Thank you, Cormac. Thank you, Dopey Reddit, for putting up more shit. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and everywhere else. Stay strong, Dopey Nation, and fucking toodles for Chris. All right, I'm going to play this song, but only because uh, I think it'll make me up a little bit. I'm just going to start
Like, where did you write, when did you write that? I like the lyrics. I hope they can hear 